had a very disturbing dream. It turned into this weird orgy thing. Joel, Joel Cotton saved this girl on a stretcher and gave her mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, and then she she came to, and then she like said something like, "I don't mind that" or something like that. And she was she had been she passed out. She was drunk or something. And they started making out and they started having sex, et cetera, and that turned into this orgy thing. There was like a few people having sex. And I was like, all right, I gotta get out of here. So I tried to leave. I got my keys back from those guys. And when I left the party, a big puff of smoke came out of my car. Like my exhaust was enormous. These like bikers on the road and they were like getting in a fight with somebody so I drove past and there was like these little kids riding on little bicycles but they were fucking with people and I tried to drive by fast and they got they were like getting in fights with each other and stuff like kids do. <laughs> um here I am. Here I am. Hello. Uh, we're, we're shooting the podcast live from Sydney, Australia today. My name's Dane Dane Hello. Uh, this is Yoni Wolf. You're listening to The Wandering Wolf, despite that uh, previous uh, man speaking, the Australian man. Uh, I, I'm uh, an American guy uh, living here, living alone in Cincinnati, Ohio, here in the Midwest of Ohio, the heart of America. Uh, it's great. Uh, to be with you all today. I'm recording this on a Sunday morning. I'm going to go to yoga in a little bit uh, and then go shopping uh, at Whole Foods, uh, get some nuts, soak some nuts, and then uh, roast them later, uh, a whole lot of them, and probably cook a lot of chicken and vegetables because I'm going to New York tomorrow. And I, as you know, I always carry my own uh, food with me because I'm on a diet. So, uh, yeah, today will be a cooking day. Laundry. Fuck, I, I forgot all about that till just now. But that's good. I'm making my mental list. I can actually go back to this recorded list and uh, check it off uh, audio, audio, audially, audially, orally, orally. Uh, yeah, laundry, right. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to New York, and I'm glad I didn't tell you about uh, why I'm going. Because uh, one of the things fell through. Uh, you know, it, it happens. It happened. It didn't fall through, but it's postponed uh, till May probably. So, but it's big shit. It's good, good shit. And uh, I've been working hard with my brother on some shit and the other guys too. Uh, good times. Good times. I feel good when I'm working a lot. That's how I am. Yesterday I had a nice full day. Uh, edited this podcast all morning, got done around three in the afternoon, and then uh, took a nice run, 
I had a T-shirt on, and it was not quite a shirtless run because uh, the sun wasn't out. Now, when the sun's out and it's early spring, oh, you got to take that shirt off. Let you got to let it just you know the sunshine just sort of glaze your your body, your bodice. Uh, but this was a this was a t-shirted run because there was a bit of a it was it was slightly brisk and I prefer that I prefer a 55 degree run greatly to an 85 degree run I can, I don't run in 85 degrees I'll run up to 80 degrees I'll run outdoors uh, and then after that I kind of got to go into the gym uh, because yeah I just I overheat easily i overheat it's like uh on if if you've ever played excite bike and then you gotta just chill out for a minute and restart uh but yeah so i am excited about this new york trip uh and if you're there you have interesting opportunities for me let me know because i'm i'm down there's some other shit i might do i might i might rap at at a uh at a comedy show but I, it's it's unclear, it's unclear. I've 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 emailed Hannibal Burris uh, about this show that he does. He has not emailed me back. Story of my life: emailing people that are have a little fame and them kind of not emailing me back. It's 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 a trend. It's a trend. Now I try not to do that. I'm a little bit famous. Those are people a higher echelon than me, like a like a Hannibal. But I try not to do that. If somebody emails me, and I apologize if I have ignored your email, but I try to email back if it's if it's about something, if it's asking a question or something, uh, even if it's a short email. I just as a courtesy, I just I don't because I don't like that feeling of waiting. Like, uh, is am I going to do this show or not? You know, we'll see. So if you're in New York, I may do. It'll just be like a 15 minute something or other. Um, during a comedy thing, but I, I assume the comedy thing is going to be excellent because pretty much everything that guy does is top notch. So uh, look out for that. If, if if you have other opportunities for me in New York, you know, or, or, or suggestions on, on people you know that that I should definitely uh, talk to for the podcast. Now I have a couple others that I'm I'm talking to. I think I'm going to do a conversation with Tao Lin, the the writer. Maybe one or two others, some some dancers. It should be a good time. You may catch me hustling on the uh, street corners like a Lou Reed of, of 1967. Bless the dead, whatever they say, RIP. Thank you very much, those of you who have been donating. I appreciate it wholeheartedly. You can donate at the Wandering Wolf Podcast at gmail.com uh, on PayPal. You know, you go to PayPal, and then that's that's your the one room with podcast at gmail.com. You can also talk to me on there. Oh, you know what? I have an ad today. Hold on, let me let me look for it. Okay, I have an ad. I said on on one of the podcasts some time ago that if you want to, you want me to advertise uh, for 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 your thing, I can do that for 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 some money. So uh, somebody took me up on that. And uh, so I'm going to give it this. So Proper Conversations is a comedy podcast hosted by Ryan Lackey and Dante Cecchini. I don't know. He didn't give me. Oh, yeah. Cecchini. 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 I imagine. Um, uh, You can find this podcast, Proper Conversations. Uh, They have new episodes twice a week. 
uh, where Ryan and Dante talk about a subject for 30 minutes, and they have a guest sometimes uh, that weighs in with their opinions and experiences. Proper Conversations can be found on Apple and Android devices, as well as on their website, gravyboat.me. So check them out. Okay, the podcast today uh, is with an old friend. Uh, this is like my brother, my brother's best friend that, that uh, you know, they, they started hanging out in, in like ninth grade. We're talking 1990, I suppose. So this is, this is a while ago. Uh, and this is a great guy, uh, Joel Cotton. He's very, very, uh, very interesting. I mean, we got him on because, you know, look, we have a lot of friends here in Cincinnati. Well, why haven't you gotten this person, that person, that person? Joel's kind of special. For all intents and purposes, he should have been in, in, in the band, like, since the beginning. And uh, we, we tried to a number of times to get him in. And f- for one reason or another, which we do talk about throughout the conversation, it didn't end up working out. Um, but I also, I, I wanted to get him on, and just I suggested him, my brother, because he has stories, and he tells stories well, and he... He's just an interesting dude. He's just a very unique thinker and a very unique articulator of, of his thoughts. Uh, so I thought he'd be good for a podcast. Uh, and I think he is. This is a very good conversation. I actually barely edited this at all last night because sometimes when someone is highly articulate, you don't really need to. Uh, and I'm not saying he's that. He meanders, and we talk about that. Uh, so it, it, it's not like a linear conversation. This, this goes all over the place. But he just he's 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 a podcaster's dream or, or radio. You know, he he's he he thinks quickly, he speaks quickly. The people that I edit a lot are like people that are super slow, like my dad. I had to cut out all the silences and you know, and myself. I cut out a lot of my silences, uh, depending on my energy level. Sometimes I'm real slow and sometimes I'm I'm, I'm a lot faster. I seem to be faster right now because I, I just ate three bananas, you know, lubes you up. It keeps you, it's like the, when you slip on them on uh, Mario Kart or something like that. It just gets you, gets you going. Check it out. Joel is, is, a, is a firefighter for, by trade. That's his job. Uh, and a musician. I mean, you know, his music is his main passion uh, that he's been doing since, since the get-go. And uh, yeah, he started his firefighter job like five years ago, which kind of runs in the family. His, his, uh, not firefighting, but but his his dad is a, is a or was a police officer. His brother is a police officer. He's a firefighter. They have you know that's like their world, that kind of stuff. I don't know what you call that stuff, but the city funded important manly jobs, you know. Oh, and and uh, I am doing some touring. I'm going to be doing some touring, some solo shows uh, out west. Uh, and I'm sorry to you East Coasters, but I'll, I'll try to get out there soon doing that. But, uh, you know, other than that one possible little 15-minute New York spot, uh, it'll be a while. But, but uh, yeah, look for me. It'll be around May or something like that. So get excited for that, uh, and it'll be maybe a good eight, eight, ten cities, something like that. Dig that. All right, let's get into this podcast with Joel Cotton. Enjoy. kid is something that seems like it's more important than whichever diversions I would get into that were certainly unhealthy. 
you're saying a kid is your new thing to focus on as your positive thinking rather than getting into the filthy ways that you used to live back in the day. I did filthily live in the day. I did filthily live in the day. But, but yeah, but that's the whole point. That's the whole reason why I'm having a girl or whatever, right? Because... That's the whole reason why what? I'm having a girl. It's because it's payback for my filthiness. Right, right, right. Now you're going to be worried about her and what goes... Yeah. But I'm also going to be educated. Because you know how dudes are. I always try to break it down to Shelly about how... Because, like, some dude that called her on the phone... When I say call her on the phone, I just mean would call her. Trying to holler at her? She, she won't let me... She won't let that be how it's worded because nothing ever happens in this... Well, so, nothing ever happens. So even if, even if that was his intention, that's not, that's not her, what, she, what her intention was. Sort of. I just try to make the differ- differentiation between... I mean, there's real knee-jerkers out there that are just like... Like, I think of like how my dog acts. Like, something's in front of them. Bam, they're whatever. Right. Knee-jerkers will impress a young girl sometimes, but not necessarily an older, more worldly female. I might be a knee-jerker. I don't think so. Point. I don't think so. But but there are some people that are um, just straight up, hardcore, long game. Like I don't even know. Like they've got their eye on some distant prize that that like is so unrealistic. Not even unrealistic. They don't believe any unrealism. They believe that because the it's a numbers game is some one of the things they seem to believe. What that you just one out of a hundred you get you you go for a hundred and one out of it's like 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 I was saying like okay keep it or whatever I'm just messaging constantly messaging and then right. But but if something does happen, these guys are so focused on that it's a long it's a marathon it's a long term game that there's not going to be anything. Like short term, that like I don't know. Lots twenty of girls, year friendships, multiple yeah. twenty year female for that. that yeah. They're just waiting out, playing playing touch the truck like through life. I mean, because at a certain point you're gonna. I mean, like if you're trying to play it from a non-malicious standpoint, you're gonna say, "Well, I'm just here for somebody," or "I'm just, you know, a friend to somebody." Right. You can say it to yourself over and over again, and it feels like valid and. Benevolent. You're saying you know there's other intentions be, be, beyond that. And this is all to say. This is all to talk about some guy that called Shelly on the phone, right? Because what did we get? How did we get on this? Oh, because of yeah. Because I call them predators, right? Because to me, the predators are the guys that are so involved in so many games that are so long range. Nothing really hypes them up immediately, which leads girls to say, "Oh, he's not. Re- he never tried anything, right?" And all this kind of stuff that, right. He's ta- not only is he talking to your wife, he's talking to several other people's wives as well. Just waiting them out until <laughs> somebody's. Uh-oh. So, Are we being that? bugged? Because that, I think that's. I forgot to turn my phone. Oh, 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 oh! That's hilarious. That's a nice ring, man. It is a nice ring. Pretty. Good. Like a like a cloud board on Mario, <laughs> right? It does remind me of a video like game. That. I'm not sure I understand. Okay, Siri, just calm down. Neither the time nor the place. I just gotta find this phone. I'd like that one. Well, anyway, you're ha- you're having a daughter. It appears that way. Like at this point in time, everything is headed that way. And and when when is that approaching? June first, which is actually my birthday. Wow. 
It's weird. That would be crazy if it happens like that. So you guys kept that under wraps for a while. I don't mean penis under condoms. I mean <laughs> both. Not telling both. people about. Yeah, I think with um, especially her, there's a lot that she has to worry about in carrying a child. Because so, she's so active doing all the stuff she does, you mean? Actually, that's probably the reasons why she shouldn't worry. It's really more because she's, um, I mean, I guess because she feels like she's older than oh, right, her right. average mother. Right. Right. And I think that she has a lot of friends that have had difficulties. And that all okay. blends together to make her not want to have to explain something to somebody and then come back and re-explain. And I'm key to, I'm, I, I'm a foot-in-my-mouther guy always. Where I'll say something to somebody and they'll be like, no, no, I lost the baby. Or, oh, no, we've been divorced for two years now. Well, so you're, you're, you're afraid that, you, that you're going to jinx it? Is that like, that's what you're saying by you're a foot in the mouth or like you're going to jinx it by saying I'm that? just always saying the wrong thing to somebody. Like, especially with the band stuff and meeting so many people. And you'll see somebody maybe every day or every week for like three months. Then you might not see him for two years or something. And then you see him and then you try to continue where that left off and it's like uh no we got divorced and <laughs> yeah you know or something even yeah. worse i mean i'm always saying like the worst thing so you just rather not say anything to anyone that's part of the long-term predator game too if you have to <laughs> never give any information right right and one way to do that is to be the strong silent type yeah which girls love which you which you, you could you could i mean you're i know i know that you're not that but you could you could act like that. Your brother is that. My brother and dad are guys that are like that. Definitely, I'm not any of that. Definitely your brother and dad. Um, but, but you could play that game if you wanted to. Possibly. But I'm more of the guy that's going to say crazy stuff. Like I don't even like to say people's names. Yeah. Because I'm always thinking I'm getting somebody's name wrong. Right. And I know somebody's name. I'll know it. Right. I'll know I know it. But I don't want to say it or I feel really crazy saying it. Like, really crazy. Yeah. No, I, know, I know what you mean about that. <laughs> I, I'm like that. That's a product of just meeting a lot of people and not. Yeah, I can't. I have trouble retaining names, faces. I, I you know. Good. I get so proud when I remember someone's name who I've who I've known for like two years, and, and I see them a lot, maybe at the comet or somewhere, and then all of a sudden, I'm like I know their name. That's it, and I'll use it like ten Every, times. Yeah, same, same time, yeah. Jerry. <laughs> you know, I'll keep Jerry. using it. Like, I can say your name now. This is awesome. We're, we're closer now. <laughs> That is funny, but that happens to me all the time. And that's part of the thing, too, is that, you know, there's so many people that you meet that um, you do want to. I mean, because people usually are special by something that they've done to me more than their name. Whatever conversation you did have with them, whatever information you did glean from them. Right. Is how you remember the person. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The name is, is, yeah. is tertiary. I'll remember that stuff, but it's the name that doesn't come easily. Uh, well, let's go back. I mean, you know, let's, we're talking to Joel Cotton. That's me. Um, maybe we say how, how we relate. Like, you know, you and Josiah have been, like, best buds since, what, ninth grade? Ninth grade. Yeah, that's crazy the way Josiah told that story. That's not exactly right. He was close, real close. Fix me up. When we were in the lower grades, like, sixth, you did play drums, and it was weird because you start talking about that chain link window. Mm, mm-hmm. The that makes so much sense to me. That chicken wire window. Chicken wire window. Yes, it brings back so many memories. That is exactly 
I don't know why they did that. It just seems like a fire hazard. <laughs> you know? Like, you can never get out of the building. It's true. I don't know. Because kids break, might break windows. But it's if you stronger. break it, it's still... Yeah, anyway. you're right. It's stronger. It's stronger. It is strong. I mean, you break it and you still can't get in it. Yes, right, I right, get that. Right. But if there's a fire in there, right. you're dead. <laughs> they don't do it anymore, anyway. Right, right. Yeah, that's true. But they probably have more high-tech glass now that... I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Anyway... Go back to that time. That situation happened. I had already had a drum set, I believe, and I saw him in the one to play drum set. You saw Josiah in that through the chicken wire window. I did because before school, I feel like it happened sometimes too. Even though you were saying it was at lunch, they would jam at like six in the morning. It could have been like I feel like it wasn't super clear on the time because like we'd get dropped off or I'd get dropped off or whatever, take the bus, and then I'd be there early. And there's that front hall, uh-huh. and you'd be it's, it's down that front hall to the right, and it seems like I saw you playing there. Many oh, times. I have anxiety just thinking about being there, just at that place. Just I just get ner- excited. I'm like, junior yeah. high was fucking nerve wracking for me, man. Like, oh god. Yeah, I don't know if I felt like it was nerve wracking. I had a lot of weird thoughts, and all my weirdness comes from those times surely you think so from from being at like a preteen or early teen yeah because i think that the thing about josiah's drumming was that it was good and everything but it was more his that thing he was talking about too about you're talking about how people related to you and were cheering for you all that kind of stuff because you were a little cute little guy like i was little undeniably cute and i think that is part of it too you're also fairly nice and everything. So, like, I think I saw part of that, the whole cult of personality, and like that, but also happened to have a drum set, and then was leaving anyway. So I felt like, well, maybe I can understand some of this stuff and incorporate Because obviously it's different with us guys that have older brothers. We have... A father to our style, whether we mean to or not. Right. But my brother was already gone from there. But the music teachers already knew him. The music teacher already knew him, and teachers already knew me. Jeremy went to CBA, too? He went for the whole three or whatever. Okay. Is that what it was, three? Three years. Sixth, seventh, eighth. And then mom wasn't letting us go to Germany no matter what. Oh, so you went to Fairview. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Elementary. So in in CBA, uh, is based Cincinnati Bilingual Academy. There there's like German schools, there's Spanish schools, French schools. They all feed into the. Those are elementary, and they all feed into the junior high experience, which became the Academy of World Languages. That's right. Yeah. And they also did all the English for ESL children. Right. That's right. Because there's like a ton of Yeah, that's why all those Cambodian sense. kids were there. <laughs> yeah, whooping that ass, if you remember correctly. <laughs> I do remember. I do remember. That was good stuff. But that's the point about the size story was very close. It's just that I saw what he was doing, knew I was leaving, and incorporated it a different way. But then what was so funny to me was, so that was sixth grade. So many other crazy things happened in sixth grade. But then it was seventh and eighth grade. And I didn't even talk to him or whatever. And that was the other thing, the Goonies thing. Mm-hmm. I asked you about Goonies, and I called you on the phone, because didn't they give out 
directories, directories and phone numbers. Yeah. Probably so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Face, so I, Facebooks, they called them at the time, I think. Which is yeah. hilarious now. Yeah. But then, so I called them up, and I just imagine you sitting in the basement and like, oh, yeah, so you're on the Fratelli Brothers level where you blah, blah. And from the music, you knew where I was in the game and knew where I was stuck and then told me how to get unstuck. So I think we talked that one time. And that was it. I wasn't really talking to you at school other than the fact that I knew you played video games. It was kind of right. hilarious. But then the drum thing. Then I left. Then it got to be ninth grade. And then we were back. But I did not go into marching band right away. So I only was a three-year marching band. You guy. went to marching band in tenth grade. Right. Okay. That's right. Is that where you guys met in marching band? Well, we met by in ninth then, grade, though. ninth grade, we were already still doing some things. Like playing in, band, in a band together, kind of? Because if I missed marching band, I still was in concert band, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was the thing. My mom wanted to send Jeremy to uh, conductor camp or drum major camp. Okay. They had an extra camp, and so he was in marching band too. He was um, drum major. Or he whatever. was the drum the 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 guy that does the yeah. thing. My him first and Rachel, year. right? No, him and Randy. Him and Randy. So they, he would be like the guy in the front, <coughs> like. He was intimidating. He was. I thought he was a straight up drill sergeant. Yeah. When I was in the band, because Joel wasn't in the band, I right. didn't. He had no context. Yeah, I had no context. Right. Really. Back then, Jeremy was all lean, mean, muscled. Mm-hmm. Just mustache. Mus- yeah. He had a mustache. And Full smoking. like. Full mustache. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I still can't grow one of those, but, but yeah, but that skips a very important thing about sixth grade. Sixth grade was also crazy because sixth grade was really when I, I didn't meet Mark Lieberman until probably ninth grade as well. Uh-huh. But that dude, I had this class with Herr Reeser that was like German and then social studies. So I sat there for like two bells and they, since they knew you were there for two bells, you didn't even break or something. It seems wrong now, but pretty sure it just was an extended like a long class mm-hmm. and so um we would sit there and i was sitting near the front because he knew i was doing it the sixth grade mm-hmm. okay and i would have all these crazy things going through my i could not deal with school i already hated school by fourth grade and i could not deal with it at all like it was seriously a problem for me and so i remember sitting there and trying to make things happen with my mind trying to make mostly the clock speed up. Just fantasize into another world. Now, I believe now, of course, that I would get so zoned into doing whatever that, yes, it seemed like the clock sped up because I would zone out for long enough that time went by or whatever. So that was easy enough to explain. But then I started doing this thing where I would make the clock go backwards. I felt like in sixth grade that I did that. But, you know, those clocks used to do that crazy thing where they they would... but but not even that. They would, like, reset them or something. Oh, that's true, yeah. And yeah. they would do some crazy stuff. So I had some weird things about that. I'm not trying to attribute magical powers to any of that stuff. But you're saying that's when you started thinking, in, in, like, a little different. What does it say different? And I think that those guys, those German teacher guys, were a little bit um, off throughout the whole career. Like, there was one guy that was really good, but there were two guys that were... Not great teachers mm-hmm. at all. And um, so we had the second one of them. This guy, I started hating, the, this is the one I feel guilty about. I, he's, I started hating the class and hating being in there and all this kind of stuff. And then one day he, he had an aneurysm out of nowhere. 
And so, like, we got... Did he die? No. Oh. He actually lived through it. Thank goodness. But we had a substitute for, like, forever. Like, I don't yeah. think he came back at all that year. You felt like you caused that. I felt that I was somewhat responsible. Because, again, I had made the clock go backwards once, and I was like, why would you ever make the clock go backwards? It's the stupidest thing you could possibly do. Right. So I went back to making the clock go forward. Did you really believe this in your mind? I really believe this in my mind at the time. I even somewhat, just don't want to admit it, but still kind of believe that I made the clock go forward. Faster. Yes. The backward stuff I don't think was really something that happened. But worse... You have psychic powers. That's something else we need to talk about. But That's what we're just getting into right now. Because then I had this vision. Because to me, you guys all looked kind of the same. Uh, Little Jewish boys? Sort of. Lieberman and Bear Me and the curly hair and the, you know, like the the little guy cuteness or whatever. There was all kinds of things going on. So I saw this figure. It was this figure of this kid. And I saw it in my head and I, like, came out of that trance because I guess the bell rang or, we you know, it's time to go. And, I, and I'm blazing in my head and I remember thinking, like, this is something. Remember this. Think about it all the time. Think about it all the time. Later on, like in um, seventh, eighth, whatever grade it was, Lieberman was in my um, uh, study hall or something in the library. And I saw him, and I had some kind of tingling, but it couldn't really make the connection. It wasn't until we went to UC in orientation that I did that thing where I looked over, and then as I looked over, like that image in my head snapped From right sixth to, grade. The image of sixth, sixth grade. grade. Yes, he was sitting there. We were sitting. There was nothing remarkable about remarkable about it. Remarkable, except for that Mark was there. We were in orientation. That was it. There was nothing. Like nothing happened. Nobody got shot. No, you know. But did you? What, what did you think the significance of the of the vision in sixth grade was, though? I thought that the fact was is that I had these visions and I was doing this thing. And that I just had this problem of not paying attention and concentrating. So I was forgetting all of the important stuff that I was being allowed to see, you know, because I was just forgetting it all. But you already knew that you had some sort of psychic abilities. But again, it was never for anything important. There was never anything that really... You never you never foretold some sort of future thing or... I mean... I get lucky about stuff. Like, I can't believe that stuff now. I really believed it then. Why do you say, decided that he has psychic powers? I've, I've seen Joel get strangely lucky about certain things. Like or, what? Strangely lucky is a good way to say uh, it. Someone, t- you know, or even with me, like, I'll be thinking about Joel, and he'll, he'll call it the weirdest times. Like, I find there's a weird timing thing where he'll just know when to call or what to say. I don't know. There's something strange going on. It's hard to put my finger on it. Okay. But there have been times when I've been taken back by the timing of, of what he does or says. I, th- I think you have an intuitiveness that I, I don't know. I feel that. I, I knew I was having a girl before we knew. And I made bets to that effect. Money bets? No, just <laughs> with, with the wife as far as I just knew. I yeah. just knew. Like It was just one of those things I knew. That's another one. That's another unresolved one. Here's one. Okay. So I had this vision one time where Josiah and Liz were like, I'm not even sure if they were both in the picture. Like, it's easy to extrapolate that picture. You got to go back to the 
exact picture. I remember sitting at like a table or a picnic bench. And across from me, Liz is holding a kid. And this kid to me is oddly dressed as far as like the kid maybe had a beret on or like a scarf, but like a little kid, like a little kid or like a vet, something. It was like very fashionable, but to me, oddly advanced for a kid's dress or whatever. Right. And she's holding the kid in front of her. She's like sitting on the bench, the kid's bottom half, you can't see because of the table. And then I'm sitting across from her and we're just talking. Nothing's happening. No, no craziness or whatever. So I kept asking Josiah for like months after that, like, are you guys pregnant? Like, seriously, are you guys pregnant? Because I saw, and it was a boy. And I, I kept asking and asking, and apparently they weren't. But here, here's that vision. It's not been fulfilled. I've not seen that picture. I've not snapped that You still that think picture. it'll happen? Sort of. And it's funny, because then when I had that picture, I thought, oh, wait a minute. What if you were seeing her hold your baby, and then the coloring of the baby was just because it's yours and Shelly's baby, so the baby's lights can't, like, started thinking all this stuff, and I'm like... Is your baby going to be that fashionable, though? Not in that way. Not in that way. That's probably our baby. Yeah, that seems to me like that. Considering the beret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, somehow it seems Unless like you got to hold your baby and, and dress him up. Which is... Which, but, but your baby's a girl. That's what, And that's what I thought. And that was the craziest thing. That's how I made the bet. I was like, we're having a girl. Because I thought of that scene. I had that before. Way before. I had that years ago. I must have told you about that. Yeah. When we a were... A couple years ago. I actually yeah. heard you tell me. Probably right after you met Liz, really. Yeah. It was very early. Yeah. And so it hasn't come up. Now it's on tape, so I guess... We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, because uh, it's just an odd... And it does... It's not like it was groundbreaking or... You know, it was nothing... So if it does, so what? It doesn't really mean anything. Right. And that's the whole thing. It's too hard to interpret. It could be anybody's baby. He could have just found a random baby on the street and picked it up, you know? Sure. She, you know. I mean, if the vision... I mean, it could just be... Yeah, just Another a, just flight a, of fancy. A dream, a fancy. Yeah. Who, yeah. knows? Who knows? And that's the whole difference, too, between the magic of whatever and the reality. If I'm really not making time go faster in sixth grade or whatever, then was I just distracting myself long enough to get out of, you know, filling the burden of school, just escaping. But then the teacher goes out, so then obviously, you know, you're, you are got to sub. Nothing matters the rest of the year. So I didn't have to concentrate on anything. So all my constant, my lack of concentration was somehow cushioned because then the teacher was gone. Like, it's hard to say that any of that's design or, you know what I mean? Like, if you're just aware of design mm -hmm. or if you just get lucky or if you just, whatever, it all works out the same way. It just seems like I'm sometimes extremely lucky. Right. More than I would say I was exactly seeing I mean, the future. I have some sort of sense. I'm I like to believe that, that people can have glimpses of the future. I like to believe that. That, that means that <clears throat> time is, you know, expansive or whatever. I don't know if it's true or not, but I want to believe it. That leads me to something else that we did with you. When we were in college, you and I had a contest on Conklin about time, and we were doing that thing with the metronome where you were showing me the metronome for like 30 seconds. I remember that. And then taking it away. Yep. And then seeing how, you know, if whatever amount of time later if I was still... you stayed in time? Yeah. Right. You were playing something? Yeah, because yeah. I think it was just like... It was a blues. It was yeah. a blues form. Which is crazy to me, because that's a silly game, but it's, it was super fun. You just take the metronome out of the room, but you leave it going? Uh, no. He it, just turned it back to the himself. The metronome right? was on silent. 
Oh, 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 you were watching it. You can watch the light. Right. And I don't think, and that's the whole thing, like, I don't think we talked about it in this de- degree after it. Just I indicated that I had done well and was in... You did well. ...within the parameters of keeping the rhythm or whatever. Uh-huh. Of course, I made the obligatory jokes about my people keep rhythm and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I didn't even imagine, I mean, that was such a joke to me because I don't imagine that I kept steady time. I think that was what was probably amazing was that I kept super unsteady time Within, that accumulated but you ended up in the right time like a rubber band. That's how I feel like my time works. Because when I'm sitting here trying to keep time, yeah, honestly, this is the craziest thing to me. I'll be playing, and it's not like I'm playing to my heartbeat, but let's just pretend like it's my heartbeat. Let's just call it the heartbeat. So I'm playing to my heartbeat, and then I get confident, so my heartbeat slows down. So time actually slows down. So I have to actually slow down to be playing with time now. But do you think from the outside that you're still on the on the beat? I think that anyone that's not delusional like myself needed me to stay with my heartbeat. Like like whatever this inner force is is real time. So if it, if I'm interpreting it as slowing down, that's my own problem. I need to adjust. Right. And so yes, I feel like I'm constantly adjusting to that inner life rhythm or whatever. And as if your body has its own personal metronome to it. No, as if the world has its own personal metronome to it. That I'm even if you're hungry or your sugar's low or you're not concentrating, whatever, you're pers- like if you get into danger, time slows down. Right. People pretty much generally agree that the perception is that time slows down. It's the same kind of thing, except for it's not about danger, and it's not about slowing down to that extent. It's about staying with that constant flow, because it's important to other people in the group. Mm-hmm. When I play by myself, I don't keep time for Jack. I can't play in time to save my life playing by myself. Do, do you, speaking of danger and time slowing down, you know that's something that you I think you live for <laughs> in some ways. Am I right? I mean... Again, extremely lucky or extremely unlucky. Well, Danger I, seems to follow me. But but I'm saying, okay, you're a firefighter. I mean, that's like a, an occupation that you get into if you if you're like a junkie for action. Yeah, or, or hero people, people that like to save people. Mm, yeah, yeah. But but that's not it. It's really a job I got into for health insurance. <laughs> I mean, and I hate to say that, especially because that's the part that gets me, is talking about these guys, firefighters. Yeah. Of which I don't exactly include myself in the group. Even though you are one, you consider yourself an outsider. A little bit. I'm not separated by racial guidelines. That would be too easy, and it's not exactly There's other black firefighters. I definitely know black firefighters. In fact, some of the black guys are the firefighterist guys of the firefighters. Is it because you're not a strong, silent type? Even these guys aren't necessarily strong silent types. These guys are good old boys or something. See, that's a little too easy, too. I want to say stuff like that. Like, they all went to Elder. They did all go to Elder. But that's not the point. That's not really what it is. They do have a similar, like, historically, I don't even know if people know how firefighters started. Because, you know, Cincinnati was one of the first firefighting paid firefighters. Because usually, in the old days, you had your straw houses or whatever, your wood houses. Something would catch on fire. And they called bucket. They were called bucket brigades. People okay. would just bring buckets from the nearest source of water and put your house out. That developed into guys that would rove around and put fires out. They'd okay. get it to some high point and they'd watch. And then when they saw smoke, they'd go put the fire out. That evolved into equipment and all kinds of stuff. But it was like random gangs. It wasn't even like 
what you think of as a fire department. It's just gangs. At, just at a goodwill, or did they? Did someone pay them eventually? Every house, and some of the old houses still have them, had like a plate that said like protected by. I'm making up names, but Kenner Insurance Company, and Kenner Insurance Company would pay whoever okay. put the fire out. Got you. After the fact. Got you. So that led to like infighting where these guys would get together on the fire. scene. Yeah, and beat each other down. And that's why sometimes they say they call us guys roughnecks. Wait, is that is that isn't that what that wasn't that in that movie uh, New York uh, with the with fucking the singing movie with Dan, with Daniel Day Lewis and shit New York the gangs I think they had something gangs in New like York that. gangs in New York I think that's so, anyway I could be totally delusional I, I don't anyway, think I saw continue, that continue please continue it's over at that point those guys decided hey we can't keep having that because they would houses would just burn down while they're fighting in the front yard right so somebody got together. Uh, actual paid fire force so sometimes they say it's somewhere else but generally Cincinnati is either the first or second but it was in the states where they first started doing that anyway yes that's what I believe that's from what my understanding of the history that's what I believe is the case and it was here and that was like 1853 or something okay so a long time ago now that's interesting to me because again these guys were not really starting from a helping standpoint but they were also, if they were gangs, they were homogenous groups of basically some semi-recent immigrants. So it really probably was, you know, there was a big German thing here in Cincinnati. You had the whatever. German firefighters, you had the Hungarian firefighters, probably. you had the Italian firefighters. And some people finally took on whatever, and then a similar thread through there was probably the Catholicism and all that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of firefighters that fit into that situation. And, of course, the things that appeal to somebody, I always say that about girls and dating girls. Like, you know, so a girl dates your friend, you could be upset. But the things that appeal to you, appeal to her and you, she's going to see that in your friend. Because that's why your friend appeals to you and all that kind of stuff. So I think the job ends up coming out as being, like, you know, attractive to certain people for many reasons. So I'm not dissing those guys. I think those guys really have a lot of heart and a lot of care and a lot of stuff that I don't really have. I think I can... Um, you don't I, have heart or care? I have... It's still different. It's still different. I mean, these guys, I think... Um, it's something different about the grind and the way these guys think about life. and They take it very seriously. Very, very, very seriously. Yeah. I think I get... I mean, I've gotten yelled at for playing gigs in my off time because then they say, well, you come in tired and you're not you're 100% for the public and you owe them that. And they'll give you like a I mean, lecture on this. Sorry to interrupt. Do you think a lot of it is just the types of people that really believe in the American dream and America and all, you know, I mean, just real, I don't know what you call That's it. That's why I say good old boys. That's you know, they're going to fly the flag at their house and they're going to, you know, you find a lot of those people in this part of the country, you know, not, not anything, there's good things about those people, but I, I would say those people are different than you and me. I'd say that these people are good at a certain set of skills that, I mean, see, I'm not trying to take anything away from these guys. The phrase good old boys to me, I understand it's not necessarily meant as pejorative, but it does seem something like it's making short work of the fact that it's more than just that these guys are good old boys because they just happen to be in power. They're good old boys because they really do share this similar thread that even if they're not I mean because there's a lot of police officers in that 
area, Price Hill and all that stuff, that are all elder graduates as well, you know? Like, Cincinnati does clump together in those kind of things. And these guys all have this drive that I think even my brother has. Yes, well, there's that. Like, your dad and your brother... Would they fit in with these guys better than you do, for example? Because they're strong, silent types. They're both cops, you know, or your dad was a cop. I think that, that they do fit that mold better. But then you do have to get back into that racially, that dichotomy is. I mean, I pretty much have done my own research. It's not really official research. And I could be incorrect, and I think that's important to state. But I'm pretty sure that they didn't start hiring blacks on the fire department until like 75 or something like that. Okay, and all these guys are German Catholic. That's what you're. Is that what you're saying? There's too? a lot of. They're West Side West Side West German Side Catholic, Catholic guys. There's a lot of yes. Right. And 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 still, just like all my buddies play music. Are we good old boys in the music industry? You know, because we gravitated towards that same thing, or do you just end up? But the music industry is one of the very first industries that was integrated and diverse. I, I that makes a lot of sense. Even even before any sports, before anything, jazz, you know, had mixed bands and, and people had, were up in arms about it in the teens and twenties and you know, it was the first anything that was mixed pretty much. That makes a lot of sense. So I'd rather be part of that club than the other ones. But yeah So, so you are saying that the race thing is still an issue within the fire community. No, you can't ever... Subtly. No, you can't ever say that you're calling out a race card. It's just not a... I mean, a real firefighter wouldn't. You know what I mean? It's not a thing you can do. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's never appropriate. It's never right. It can always be refuted. But you feel like an outsider. That's the bottom line. We don't need to... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, because it's not about race. I'll tell you why I feel like an outsider. We had a situation where there was a... uh, probably a meth lab. We'd already put out the fire, basically. And I have a little bit of knowledge from talking to my brother and father about things. My dad kind of missed the whole meth thing. He was already retired by the time meth was big. But just a little bit of stuff. I'm not talking about watching Breaking Bad. I'm talking about doing studies to try to stay safer. That's the one thing I do. I just study certain stuff on my own and through books and internet or whatever. So it's not even the most scientific study always but the components for a meth lab were there like physically but most of the chemicals were not there in combination to to create meth so my conclusion from where i was in the fire which was not exactly putting out the fire i was kind of just supporting i thought oh yeah they were probably doing that at some time there's probably dangerous chemicals in here but it's not an active meth lab and I tried to mention that because some guys were talking about it. I tried to mention that them to them, and they the first thing they do is go, huh, "So, kid, how many years you got on?" Right, right. Well, I mean, could it be? Could that be a lot of the thing too? Is that you're you, you've been doing it what three years? Like five years. Five years. You know, that is important. Tradition is always going to be important in those jobs, and tradition to me, and cop jobs too. Like you know, and everything. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, even professors, tenure, sure, and sure. You know, and everything. Even, I mean, even in school, you know, I mean, you got to make up some rule to make somebody have to do some crap. I just mean, I guess I'm thinking more in, in 
things that relate more to the military, their men's work. You know what I mean? Like you can have female firefighters, but by and large, let's let's be real, police officers, firefighters are mainly men, and that and it's a men's world. And it's like you know, there's there's very much alphas and and gammas and the whole nine yards, right? Yeah, I I, I think that. Yeah, I mean that's that's how it is. I mean they yeah. have female facilities at some of the firehouses because they were built in the eighties and newer. Right. But they didn't even play that game. They weren't even pretending like there's going to be females either on the fire department. And I can only think of like seven or something. So, th- so these dudes tried to sun you about the about the meth lab. They did su- try to sun me about the meth lab, and it was just kind of funny because um, my understanding is is that. I was exactly correct that, yes, there had been evidence of meth being created there at some point, but it hadn't been happening recently. Right. And I was only trying to make the point that, you know, as far as a safety standpoint, it wasn't like we were worried about those drugs that were, or those substances that were going to cause harm to us in dealing with after the fire, trying to clean it up. And we were just had to worry about the fire hazard and that we'd already put the fire out. So it was too late to even be considering that. So you you were saying we're we're cool. Were I was trying to even even ask like up. yeah, I was trying to even just kind of ask like so if this is what I saw and this is what's happening, doesn't it mean we've already done the dangerous part? Right. I was even just kind of asking kind of a question, but they sunned me up well too early in that to even get to that. Right, and that's so funny to me because that's I just think that now. I mean, it made me mad that day. I think, but I just think it now. It's like it's obvious that they're going to have to do that to you in the face of not having better information. Like, it's almost like they know you're right, they don't have anything to say. Right. In so many of those cases. Now, another case, you could not be listening and not hear the information they impart, and so they're done with you and they're just sunning you off. But, if you've been listening and they don't have anything to tell you, then it's probably actually a good sign. It's actually like, they ran out, so their default is... Right. No, no man, that's what I'm saying, no man's man that does a job like that wants to ever be told that he may or may not be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like That's another point, though. You're not, just, and you're not really like that. That's what I'm saying. I even thought about it this way just now when you said that. These That's the other thing. I'm already 30-whatever, 30 36 or something, yeah. and I've been on the job five years. A lot of these guys knew when they were nine years old right. that they were going to be firefighters. So they became firefighters at 18 right. or 22 when they got out of the Marines. You know what I mean? Yeah. And 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 I have nothing but respect for those guys, and and the guy that's going to impart some information on you, whether they sun you up, if they part impart information on you, good for them. Right. They're showing a, a concerted effort to make you safer, themselves safer, the whole city safer, and I, I think that's the difference. Though these guys that are lifers that just knew, hands down, that's what they wanted to do. There's guys in the county who are jealous of the pay and benefits of a city job and would replace me in a second if they thought they, they could do so. You know, if there was a way that they could do that, you know what I mean? Like, they would definitely go ahead and do that, take my job, and, and make a point that, you know, I want this more than you do. Mm-hmm. Like, give up your spot. Yeah. Do you still feel ambivalent about about being a firefighter? Do you, do you still feel like, you know, I remember the first couple years you were like eh. I mean that's what my impression was anyway it's harder for me than a lot of those guys I think but it's not really the firefighting it's really just having any job I mean isn't it 
That's the other problem with our group of peer, our peer group, our peer group that some of y'all have already talked on stuff. Um, none of you guys, oh, this is not a way to put this because I'm not trying to insult anybody. But a lot of people have a different take on earning a living, which works out pretty well for some people most of the time. What the hell are you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Some of us are doing very well with not being able to just go work a regular job. That's what's so funny to me, too, in the sense of you guys play like some crazy music that was spawned from a hip hop improvisational, but pop, you know, artistic, th- you know, all this kind of stuff. Really, you guys should be the black sheeps musically. But like the whole peer group is black sheeps with the jazz and the. Because that's like my peer group to me is like a lot of that jazz stuff and a lot of whatever. I'm like the cover guy, pretty much. So like I'm playing that super mainstream straight whatever, have the super mainstream straight job, car, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it's so weird to me. Wife, kid, I'm coming. But that makes me the black sheep of the peer group because everybody else are the black sheep. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Flips it but, around. But I don't. But you know, I don't. I don't think about. I, I don't think within our world there's black sheep type thing. You know what I, I mean? Feel like, because we because that to me that connotates like there's like something like shame about you know like oh this is the this is the son that wasn't doesn't didn't do what I was mean to do it's something. not you shouldn't feel guilty for what you like or dislike but nobody has respect for uh, my musical main focus the same way that because jazz guys are cover guys too which is so funny right so they should already be just like oh we're in the same boat I'm a cover guy except for I do really old covers and then so they should be in the same boat already but they're like no I'm a I'm a I'm a artist and a scholar unlike you you're kind of a ruffian right and (laughs) I mean, that's how the jazz thing kind of works a little bit. Just like those guys. That you, so you it are, depends on the jazz. There's so many types of jazz, and there's so many. But, but what you're saying is, not only in the firefighting community do you feel like an outsider, but now in the music community, you also feel like an outsider. In our music community. In our music community. I'm very accepted in like the overall, like, just somebody come play a gig. Like, I can get gigs for doing what I do right? fairly easily and get paid. My now, standard rate. What about this aspect of it that we tried to hire you in Y <laughs> in, in pre Y projects about <laughs> That's four good. or five That's times good. perhaps, and you 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 turn it down. So and, and and a lot of that has to do with other. I don't. You can tell me what that has to do with, but um, just the the lack of security. I think so. I think my my thing would be to say that you have. You know, I, I I had a lot of balls, I guess, or or short sightedness, you know, about <laughs> about my career, and I just did whatever the hell I wanted to do without care uh, about the future. Whereas you were always thinking about like, well, you know, how am I going to pay my next rent check, et cetera, et cetera, and you know, that, so it makes sense. You have a full time job with security benefits. Uh, you know, insurance, and you have a wife and a kid on the way, and you have uh, like a weekly kind of gig that's like 
you know, a definite time, definite amount of money, definite, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So now, it's a different thing. That makes absolute sense. And then that's, there's two things I think that go into that, too. We were talking a little bit about the whole how I'm going to feel like a black sheep anyway. That's a whole conversation, so I won't get into that part right now. But I do believe that with the whole getting into your guys' band thing, that is a very that is a very important point to me. And it has a lot to do everything. I mean, one of the biggest things that affected my life is just now becoming pregnant or whatever. That's been like the biggest thing that's ever happened to me pretty much. Um, getting married is right up there with that. And it seems to me part and parcel. My dad got sick at some point. That seems like very serious to me. Roz dying got very serious to me. But like, you know, I go back in all these points and there's not many more than that. I mean, there's a couple other large points or large people in my life. But when we went out west, that seemed to me to... Oh, that camping trip? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That spawned every... that Like, it solidified the thoughts that I already started to have. And it and it made everything make sense to me. And, and there's something, too, about even just the way your mom and you guys got raised and all this kind of stuff... Because even that's a big thing to me. I mean, that's that's why, like, those things that I just described, the differences, are absolutely the differences in how we were raised. Yes. There was some event that we were at where your mom started saying something about the band and the what different things. And she was basically, she didn't say anything like this at all. In fact, I should stop doing this to people. It's absolutely delusional. But whatever she was saying, I basically took it as, we tell our kids a different message you saw her mouth moving, and this is what you said to yourself in your right. head. <laughs> she says, I told my sons a different message. Go out. You can do whatever you want to do. Right. And they believe me, and they're doing it. Yeah. Whereas my parents, and it's not a cap on anybody, were more like, do some stuff to keep yourself whatever, and then do the rest of the stuff you want to do in your spare time. Right. Right, you've been more practical. I mean, you, you know, both of us, I think, have really good parents, really solid foundations. I think your parents just gave you a bit of a more practical approach. That's, you know. That's one way to put it, and, and, that, and that's very real. But I think the problem is, though, I always think about your mom, always. Uh-huh, uh-huh, excuse me? Because she had to put up with a lot of my trying to figure out what that other message was. And then, so, I mean, I was mobbed up at your guys' houses all the time. And we were out there doing annoying stuff, sleepovers and drum playing in the attic and just all this stuff that was super invasive. They dealt with it, though. They did. They dealt with it with... I mean, I'm... They did. They seemed to encourage that kind of thing, you know? There's a limit, but they definitely were very receptive of that. They never complained about the, the sound, I don't think. No, they never seemed to... They, I mean, they, it was great. Now, my parents did a similar thing in putting us out in the base or in the garage. So there was a, you know, they didn't want the sound. Yeah, I mean, you, it's not like you, you know, obviously you grew up musically. It's not, you know, was your was, was your mom musical? The story goes, as far as I know, that my mom was really close to signing deals and doing everything, but then decided to get married. She got married young. Well, signing deals for what? What kind of group? Or what kind of? I'm pretty sure, and you know, the stories get passed along in the oral tradition and maybe there's embellishments or missing information but I'm pretty sure it culminates in that it was like actually like Barry Gordy or somebody was listening and like soul singer type yes okay and she was you know she was very active at the end of high school 
And then she decided she'd rather have a family, which is very interesting to me. Because and she and she met your dad around that time. She had already known my dad, and yes, they started hanging. I mean, because they got married when they were like, I mean, really young. <laughs> and and are, are they from here, both of them? Yeah, the other urban legend goes that they actually went to the same kindergarten. Okay, and then. You know, met again in Walnut Hills because they they, they Walnut went to Hills. Walnut. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's the story, and you know, I believe it. My mom was a my mom's voice is she gets mad when I say this, but her voice is a lot like mine. I mean, my voice is a lot like hers, even in the range or whatever. Except for she has range on both sides of me, and her voice is figures less lower bitchy. than you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, she's got range on both sides, and huh. and you know she actually has the support and the control. And did she did 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 you grow up hearing her sing? Not nearly enough, but that was the whole thing was that we would play because Jeremy played guitar at least. That's assume I assume that's why you started playing, Jeremy. Yeah, well, my mom had started me on piano, but I think she started us all on piano, and then Jeremy got to quit because he was older enough that then he started band, so he started playing saxophone. So we had a piano, a saxophone, a guitar, and a flute. So in the house, just around, because I guess mom used to play some of that stuff. And uh, so Jeremy got to play saxophone, so that left the flute when I got in band. And then Jeremy started playing the guitar first. And so, you know, I was out of luck until fifth grade when I got the drum set. But you played flute. Up until uh, that's when I met Josiah. I was actually playing flute, which he left out of the story, which was probably kind of nice of him. <laughs> no, I love that. Was in concert band or in, or in marching band? This was before all that. This was in that sixth grade, you know, beginning band okay. crap where you're just yeah. sitting there with the girls and yeah. nobody's really doing it. Well, you were sitting there with the girls because you were playing flute, right? But see, that's actually yeah. I, I, see, I was playing snare drum in sixth grade with a dude. Who was like a real like one of these real jack off kids? It's kind of like, <laughs> and then this other person that I never actually figured out if it was a boy or a girl, like all year. That's pretty funny. Anyway, in the back, in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. But the girls were turning around looking back at the drummer. So I mean, <laughs> and there's that other dude that played flute. There's one other dude that played flute. Mm. And that's all I knew. So, uh, and did you continue the flute into in high school or no? Or into into Wanna Hills? Mr. Cruz asked me to quit playing flute. <laughs> really? Yeah. Cause did you suck? I'm pretty sure I was second chair, second seat. There was two He wanted you to play drums. He wanted me to play, there was too many flutes, I think. And I don't think that, like, I think I could do, like, I don't think he could fail me on, um, like, doing the fingerings. Uh-huh. But I don't think he liked my breath support. You always good. That's just, you've always been good at fingering. <laughs> exactly. And that, yeah. And no breath support. And that's the whole thing. Even back then, um, she switched me to drums, which was like bittersweet. Yeah. Because I already was playing drums to an extent, but then I had to sit second part to all of Josiah's crap. Right. For, you, were, you were the you were the main section leader of the drummers. And marching band, not in concert band. Yeah, that's true. So, Mike never trusted me to have leadership skills. 
I always You're just a little it, guy. <laughs> I always viewed it as though that you were too um, deep in the actual music to bother with. Yeah, when you're when you're like a like a diva, you don't you're not going to be the musical director. You're just like right. the go to like solo. It wasn't that. It, no, it really was. You you had a, a leadership vibe as far as that kind of thing went. And you were Jeremy's little brother, probably. I mean, that couldn't hurt, right? That your brother had been the drum major. Definitely, Jeremy paved the way for so many things. I mean, even that side did for me, really. Even that band stuff, because when we used to play in the Earth Day jams and all that kind of stuff, all that stuff was basically because I played in Jeremy's bands. They graduated so far ahead that somebody had to fill the gap, and so we were next in line. You play you 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 played what guitar in his bands or bass? I played drums in his bands. You played drums in his bands. Okay. And that was the, that's the first time I met Jillian and uh, Vicky Meadows. The first time I met those people was because I went and played a party at their house. Okay. I was in like seventh grade, and they were like high school kids I guess Jeremy's like three four years older than me four years older three grades ahead uh-huh. so I was out of my element I was just playing drums and it was kind of hilarious and that you know we'd have occasional gigs and that gave me my blueprint for there's these different things you can actually play right in a rock band yeah right so we're gonna do them parties right and Earth Day <laughs> Right, Bogart's band challenge. So, and you and you guys got uh, you were like, I mean, you know, I, I was in ninth grade when you guys were in twelfth grade. So I can flash forward to that and just say that you guys were like the hot shit. You I got, will tell you in our own minds. No, no, no. I, you guys were popular as hell with that with the, <laughs> with the rock bands that you guys were doing, definitely. And Joel was like the the fucking front. You know, you're voted the best musician, right? I think. Yeah. Senior superlatives. Yeah, the senior superlatives. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up. I forget about that. That's not the story. You're bearing the lead. Again, the Outcast vibe comes back up. There were four bands. Okay, because all that mattered was, at a certain point, everybody could be in that band challenge. You had to pay money, I think. I think I paid the entrance fee, and it was like 50 bucks or something. Is that the Bogart's band challenge? Mm-hmm. To get it. Now, I think it was worth it. They gave you all these flyers and printouts and stuff but it's still pay to play in some kind of way yeah but but see everybody paid them for that and then you know it was a combination of votes from the people but there was also a judge's vote and it was something like the judge's vote was weighted i think it was like 60 40 or something like that something just like that um excuse me um but um because that's what was so funny t sly man we you know there was all that craziness going on back then because it was the first year it was like three fat mice and soft cactus indefinite indecision or whatever all those guys and all that kind of stuff three fat mice man that was Bobby Gale Mike Lamping and um somebody else dude you know now yeah so these are we're talking about high school band challenge and the different bands that are <laughs> Just to get fill in to the listeners to what's what right because this about. is a kind of a tangential. Here, <laughs> yeah. Well, but anyway, we really did only do well as a result of that. By the time you eliminated the first couple of rounds, we were definitely better than bunches of that crap. By the time you eliminated the first few rounds, right. then it was just basically one band was from one school. Right. That's right. That's right. You were you were the band from Walnut Hills. You know, but Walnut Hills was was a big high school, big high school, you know, and they cool backed us up. I mean, they and really they did because you guys were good. You guys were killing it. 
we did not do too badly. I'm still very pleased with that. And I, I love telling the story. I'll tell it to T Sly right to his face. T Sly was in the other band, Mad Hatters or whatever. Mad Hatters. And that he, was the other. That was that was fucking uh, 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 Yuri's brother, Anthony Kim, or not Anthony Kim. Uh, Eugene Kim. Eugene but Kim. He wasn't in Mad Hatters. He was in Mad Hatters, man. I swear he was. No, I, might I don't be think so. I, I think you're tripping. tripping. I know what you're talking about because I remember he was he in Mad play. Anthony. Sorry, Mad Anthony. Right. Yeah. That sounds right. He was. He was in one of those bands. Yeah. And he was great. He was yeah. great. Okay, so Mad Hatters. Mad Hatters was T. Slides band. It was like uh, Peter Ravello, who now plays with Dickie Betts or somebody. What 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 uh, what high school were they from? Well, that's weird because I know that Sly went to SCPA. Well, like Roger Bacon or something. Mad Hatters. No, yeah, they SCPA. were like um, maybe it was SCPA or that Catholic school. What's the Catholic school? I don't know, man. You know the it, one over there so, by Wanted Hills. Th- these people yeah, don't need to know. They this. don't. Yeah, but but you know another bigger school with their following. Anyway, he went around and collected all the ballots uh-huh. that people would just drop once they got in there because your ballot was their vote. Right, so they would drop it. They didn't give a fuck. Right. So they dropped all... He went around. I, he walked up to me and asked me, hey, man, can I have your ballot? And I'm like... Not knowing you were in one Are you serious? Bands. And he has a stack of ballots. like a hu- Not like five or eight. He has like... I would have to guess 80. Right. And I'm looking at him. I'm so upset. Don't know him from... Actually, I did kind of know him a little bit, tiny little bit, because apparently we both liked one of the same girls back then. But um, but so he had that stack, and they still only, like, they still, I can't remember if that was the year that they, we came in second and they came in first. Like, they had all of the vote, the people's vote, right. but we had all the judges' vote. Right. And that, to me, somehow meant... The judges are more important. Important. That's how it seemed yeah. to me in that kind of context because some kind of cheat. music industry person, you know, what I mean? and cheat. I thought of it as cheating then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Sly now, and I think he's a great guy. Thirty, not no, thirty. That's ambitious. He is ambitious. He's doing, doing he's exactly what he had to ambitious. do. Doing what he had to, to do to make it work. The news coverage for that whole thing. We got down to the final four. They came and interviewed and took pictures of the other three bands, but not you guys. And did not come and talk to us. Did not take a picture. Not whatever. We should have been dressing better, man. I guess so. Slobs. I guess so. But they could have at least called and got like a one-liner. Right. But weird, you know? Yeah. I always feel this outcast thread running through the whole entire... But you say outcast, but you had the whole school behind you, you know, of 3,000 people, and you had, you know, I, you, I think you have you have a, what we would call a, I don't want to say Jesus complex, but an outcast complex. I do have an outcast complex, but I come by it honestly, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's the whole thing, too, about... Because I do believe that your mom's narrative to you guys was different. In the same way, I believe that the gener- their generation's narrative was... Their parents were coming out of different stuff, different... You know, that was still when America's generations were successively doing better. Right. And it's kind of seemed like it's until us, right? Pretty much, yeah. So, you know, the narrative there, I feel, divides itself along racial social guidelines as well because of the way people think of growing, how it leveled off, like how who, who it leveled off for at what times, and that's basically kind of like economically. Do you think we all fall on, along those lines? I mean, I'm doing the same thing that my dad did, except for it's fire. 
My brother's doing the same thing my dad did, except for whatever. I'm pretty much doing the same thing my dad did. We're all PKs here. Yeah. Which I guess to you guys means preacher's kids, but means police kids to me. But, yeah, I mean... You know, I I happen to not be preaching about Jesus, but I'm, you know... still have the flock. Still talking to people in a mic in front, you know. Absolutely. Passing the collection plate. It's all the whole... (laughs) (laughs) It's all the... you know. It's all the... It's like, you know... I mean, and, and there's nothing wrong with... And again, I'm not disputing that those narratives should exist the way that they did. People have their own take on how it yeah. is supposed to work. And that narrative for me about being an outcast comes from the fact that I do believe that because they had this different narrative was because they were presented with more actual racism than I was faced with. And then, you know, the stuff that I faced is still different. So you're saying there's still almost like what I would consider like a, a immigrants mentality or whatever. There's this like you have to since since you have this adversity, you have to work twice as hard and you have to be twice as on your shit. Yeah, I think that was still what was up in a lot of ways, but but that doesn't even explain it fully. Which is probably more true for your dad's generation than, than our generation. But it but 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 you're saying work is twice as hard and all this stuff. It really means you have to be more careful. Or more careful. In general, okay. with your economic stability base and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's where that comes from. I mean, I think they really worried about me going over to somebody's house and their parents not watching them the, us the same way. Because none, none of y'all's parents did. I mean, right. it was just a different right. thing. I mean, we didn't run around the neighborhood. You guys ran around the neighborhood. Dusty's family ran. You know, everybody ran around the neighborhood. And what You're saying in, in your family? In the yard. Maybe next door, but that was as far as you go. Be, because they're just careful, safe, worried. Dad's stories about what happens on the beat, because his beat was largely in the neighborhood that okay. we were in. It, 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 he did not approve of us getting too far away. Right. He and saw enough stuff go down, and there there were rough areas near where you lived at, especially back in those days where there yeah. was like those neighborhood battles where. Like like neighborhood gangs and shit. You had to call yeah. out the neighborhood you were from and then get beat because you were from A ones at a Bond Hill or whatever. And right. Your parents lived kind of on the edge of the nice neighborhood and the not so nice neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. And that was part of the whole thing too. Is that you know, Dad worked hard and remodeled his houses and sold, and then you know, worked hard and remodeled another house, and all of a sudden we're in the. I mean, from going from where we came from. To that house, because I basically remember two houses. The one house, the other house, night and day as far as neighborhoods and mm-hmm. areas. And I only know the one, Avondale. North, yeah, we came North, North Avondale. Okay. We were a lot closer to um, Martin Luther King, which I don't care who's listening. Everybody knows what you that means. You know what that means. <laughs> so, I mean, that, and that was the whole thing is that. Yeah, the, you said the, the house before the one I know. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I was young. I was only seven. I rode my bike from that house to the new house. I was like seven years old, so it happened early, and we lived with repairs for like two years or whatever, and it was lovely. My parents have always done a great job of right. working that same narrative, and I love that. the the the, the outcast mentality comes from to me the the. Discrimination that was still largely part of the outlying areas, and it really wasn't just one way. 
I mean, definitely people were beating people down every which way. Right. But obviously it feels personal. When you say outlying areas. You know, going out to the west side to me mm-hmm. was a problem. And I've had yeah. near fights. I mean, I, I, I see what you're saying. Being black in in like those in, in those areas. The areas that was I now serve. Right. Right. Was a problem. Right. And it was the thing where my parents would say, go over there, but don't go running around. The, you know, they would be very clear about. Yeah. We don't want you getting into the problem that you're going to get into for being out in that area. Right. And I don't blame them. I think that, you know, they were right. I mean, we got, I remember one time we were a bunch of kids at the pool and this kid drops the bomb on me. Yeah. And I remember the kid dropped the bomb on me and I wasn't really that Would you that go on shit concerned. like that? Would you just go on? Hecky no. Because these kids could do whatever the heck they wanted to. Yeah. They were not nearly the frightening entity that my father was. Right. So he, your dad would have got would have got pissed at you if you would absolutely if absolutely. you would have hit some kid absolutely. absolutely really my dad did not play that you know he, oh stand up to the he did not play no? that stuff no he played the narrative like that was what's so weird to me about it so that time I remember looking at the lifeguard and thinking. Like Did you hear that? You're going to say something. This is some fucking 17-year-old kid on the fucking <laughs> yeah. lifeguard. He doesn't know. Right, he know. doesn't know. And the kids that were, there was like four kids, and they were like 13, and I was like nine. Yeah. So even then, you know, it's not like it's about to really go down either. Even I knew that at that time. And I'm looking at him, and it was only me and the other kid that was with us that was black standing there. And uh, I was just... More shocked, like I was. was just, wait, your dad was at the pool? No, no, okay. oh no, nobody was around anywhere that was going to be of any help to my cause, except for the other black dude. And you know, he said some stuff. He did say some stuff, but not in a about to take somebody out. More in that kind of. You shouldn't say that. Even a little bit harder, like in that. Um, it's hard that I can see the type in my head so well. Like he was a strong Christian. But still not going to take any crap. Right. Like, he was resigned to, like, you can't talk to us this way, whether we have to get beat or not. You right. know, you can't talk to us this way. And I was more like, huh, people really say this crap? Like, people are really going to say this crap to a nine-year-old? Right. And there's four of them? Like, this is really Did how this goes. Did voice that to them? No, I stood there and didn't say a thing. I, I, every time. I got jumped in sixth grade twice. And... Every time. By white kids? No, no, no. I got jumped by people of every race <laughs> all all through my life. I've been jumped by... Cambodians. Yeah. Got you. Cambodians. Did they, the Cambodians got you? Absolutely. Fuck. Uh, Is this great? Absolutely. Fuck. And, uh, and, you know, I deserved a lot of it. I was a little hyper. But, you know, I got beat by everybody. Or at least approached by everybody. And I wouldn't fight because if I had gotten suspended from school... I mean, my life as I knew it would have been way worse than. I mean, having a four year older, four year older brother, there's no sixth grader that's going to beat me down, that's going to hurt like Jeremy beat me down, you know? Right, right. None of that's going to be the same. It's like, well, go ahead and do what you got to do. Right. I'm going to go to the principal later. Right. I'm going to look like a punk no matter what, but I'm going to not get suspended from school and still be able to play my Nintendo when I go home or whatever. Right. And that was the important thing to me. Just that you say I didn't even th- you wouldn't even throw a punch. One time I got so angry that I had to. Yeah. And it was so but quick. See, I knew where the security guard was. I knew what was happening. I knew that this guy was messing with me. 
and I hate to say it, it's so wrong. He's messing with me above. Like, he didn't have the sympathy of the peoples to be messing with me for his particular offense. Right, right. And the security guard was not looking or was purposely not looking, quickly handled that situation. But that was the only Mr. one. Mr. Triggs? Yeah, Mr. Triggs. <laughs> Mr. Triggs. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 bum leg. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, Another guy who knew my father just from the whole cop thing. Okay. And would have probably told my father, like, you know. Right. Would have just knocked me out, probably. This is the same exact reaction at the Pleasant Ridge reunion. Someone says, Mr. Tree. They're like, Mr. Tree. <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah. I, see, I had a similar thing. See, when I was young, I, I also, like, I just, I went through periods of, like, I had this inner frustration. I feel like you, I feel like you and I had a similar kind of thing, maybe, like, a some kind of inner rage probably deep down like boiling uh and i remember i but i had on top i was just like you know it's not right to fight violence is bad you know and i remember one time i was like 12 years old and i was out by the congregation like across over that you know we used to jump down that wall into the into the back Mm -hmm. uh playground of pleasant ridge elementary Mm -hmm. and i was hanging down there with um, somebody, it might have been a girl. I don't even remember. And these two kids came up and they wanted to fight me. And uh, I was like, I'm not gonna fight you, you know. And the one kid was like, my, he was like my size or even a little smaller. And um, I'm like, I'm just, I'm not gonna fight you. Like I don't believe in violence, you know. What I mean, this was like a 12 year old kid. This is how I felt, at the time, you know. But inside, of course, I always had a. And he. Uh, and he just starts punching me in the face. I'm like, mm. I'm not gonna hit you. You can hit me all you want. I'm not gonna. <laughs> you told him that? Yeah. Weird. And uh, and eventually, like, I I grabbed him. and We kind of, I just sort of hugged him almost, and we kind of rolled down that hill together. Hmm. And then got up, kind of dusted ourselves off, and then went back to uh, wherever we went on your ways. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, but he got to do that in front of his friend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, that's the thing about that ride. You're always still going to kind of look like a punk for it, like, no matter what. Kind of. Even though it's really the... But I really just felt like this inner, like, you know, like, the, the, I'm, like, doing the right thing. That was, like, what what was going on in my in my dialogue. But then deeper down was this just ever-boiling See, that's the cauldron. thing. Right underneath for me was the ever-boiling thing. Because I remember this guy slammed my head against the bus window, and it was the kind of thing where it was, like... Like, he did it, and he thought he was so tough. Like, you could just see how tough he thought he was. And again, it's that thing. You're not... My little brother beats me harder than you just right, hit me. Right, right. Number one. And and I was so mad. Like, if it wasn't for... Because that's the other thing. Get kicked off the bus, that's even worse than getting suspended from school. Because then one of them has to drive you to school. <laughs> yeah. Over. I mean, yeah. My life would have been over. And that, I just knew that. And it wasn't about, I want to be the better person and not... No. It was specifically about, I'm not losing my privileges because it's better to get hit Interesting. 10 times here than to not be able to go home and play Super Mario Brothers, whatever it right. was that I did right. that I didn't want to have taken away from me. And I, I already that was hated a good school. method of parenting? Again, the dialogue, though, but my parents felt like if a similar situation happened between two different kids and I was one of them, I might be treated differently and that I need to be more careful. Again, financially behaviorally, all that stuff. I just need to be more careful. I believe that dialogue then, and that's why I still act that way now, right? I think it's wise. I mean, ideally, you learn 
the arts of the ninja and you just kind of diffuse the punch and move them out of the way you know then you come across as tough but not violent but that doesn't happen then that's and that's not <laughs> realistic even the guys that know kung fu or whatever and you know how to do that shit like you can you can block and deflect shit all you want but eventually you have to diffuse it by you know knocking someone down or, or yeah. choking them out or something you know what i'm saying like I most of the time I nicely kind of tie their hands up. Yeah, I've had some. I mean, I've had some. I've had some of those moments with the ninja type skills. Like I remember some guy was trying to talk to a girl, and I think it always created a situation because I was never like the jealous type. But this guy then starts like physically flirting, like but not like just touching, but like like kind of hitting. We're dolls. This is like twenty two years old or whatever, and he's sitting there talking to this girl and. Was, wait, wait, you're with the girl or he's with the girl? But I'm carrying all the gear out because at the end of the show, I of see. course, I'm carrying all my gear. And I remember that... This was a girl that you were going to go home with. Right, was dating, was, you know, okay. hanging out with. Yeah. And so I remember I walked through and he was doing it again. I remember I dropped the amp lightly on the ground and then deflected his touching her again and just kind of looked at it. Like, I just did it, looked at him <laughs> as I walked past. It was very smooth. Yeah. I've only been smoother once in my life, actually. Which is when... That was when at the Bogarts thing, those guys pulled that gun on me. Okay. Those guys, too. And you ain't got to turn their names backwards. Brant and freaking Fungus, that band Fungus and those guys, man, I what, never... This was a high, a high school band challenge band? And they had already been eliminated, but they were actually like, we hang out on Short Vine, so we that. should like be part of, of the... Malone's. Yeah. We should be like part of this BB thing. BB gun, wasn't it? It was in, a BB gun, in, I'm in pretty high, sure. hindsight. In hindsight, and even that, I remember Bo. We were Bo was still in the band. Yeah. So they waited until the proper gear was carried, where Bo wasn't out there. I was out there by myself. Why? Because Bo was bigger. Bo was like twenty two. Right. You guys were like seventeen. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't he. Yeah. yeah. He was older. I mean, he wasn't. You were still tougher than Bo, but was, I don't know, man. I think Bo might have had some karate. Well, maybe. Anyway, and he also had that different dialogue. That no, I don't take crap from anyone else. There's no one right above my. I give crap. Right, that different. I'm holy, the one who knocks. Yeah, <laughs> and that, and so they wait till I was there, and that was that was the thing where those guys kept asking, "You you talking shit about our band? You talking shit about our band?" And I literally wasn't. Yeah. And I did not like their band, but I wasn't the kind of talk. I was more of the "Hey guys, middle child, right, bring people together" type of crap and so finally when they got me alone they get in the car and pull up while I'm carrying something and they're like you're gonna talk crap about our band now they they pointed a gun at you yeah and I'm like well I wasn't talking stuff about your band before but you guys are terrible. <laughs> you and said if, that. Yeah, and you're not going to shoot me because you, if you were, you would have just beat me up while the three of you were standing there. Right. So you're not going to shoot me either. And I just walked off thinking, like, they could shoot me. <laughs> How many times you had guns pulled on you? I mean, if that... It's you, been about, like, eight. Wow. You think that was probably a BB gun, though? That was... I'm almost sure that those just guys... Just in hindsight, knowing now what you know about guns. Even then, I kind of thought it was a BB gun. You've had eight guns pulled on you? I think it's about eight. Out, tell me another story about that. I mean, the one Just time here. the one time that I had a gun pulled on me was with you out by the by the uh, comment that that one event, not that time, the time before that where that guy had said, "You're lucky I don't have my well, pistol." He threatened us, but he didn't pull a gun. Out. Didn't pull a gun. That changed my whole life. What happened? I hit a car like it was my fault. I hit the guy's car. It was a 
Ford Escort. The guy jumps out. And I think somehow I said, oh, let's go down here and talk about it down here because we were in the middle of the road. And so we go down there and talk about it, and he wants to start getting hyper. I'm realizing now it's because he didn't have insurance. Oh, yeah. But he's trying to punk me out or whatever. Were you a teenager or... Yes. Okay. And we were driving somewhere in my car. My car wasn't damaged at all. His car had barely some damage. And I had already called my dad somehow. And he was on his way or whatever. And uh, it's weird, real weird. This guy ended up living like right up the street from us in the first place. Didn't know my dad. But he's talking about his crap. And I'm like, you know, my dad's on the way here. He's a cop. So, you know. But it made me all scared. Like, I'm sitting there thinking that same way. I'm just surprised. Like, this guy's going to act like he's going to shoot me for barely bumping his bumper. I mean, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. He said that right after he got out of his car. Yeah, like... He's just talking shit, though. Absolutely. Yeah. And that was the thing, is that he was trying to scare some kids. And I thought, because Josiah was there, I'm like, you know, I've created this situation. I made this Josiah... Josiah shot. Yeah. His mom is never going to love me. And, you know, all this stuff's going to go down wrong because (laughs) I drove poorly, especially since I considered my driving to be some of the best. Yeah. And I made a mistake. And... And that started changing the whole story. Then the other time I got guns pulled on me, uh, Dusty wouldn't let us use his car to go around the corner to get some beer or whatever from the store. This is when you were living down in Covington? <clears throat> they were living in Covington. That okay. was near those I mean, we're, 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 That's what I mean. Dusty and Lieberman were living down there. Well, just Mark. Yeah, just Lieberman. Okay. And some other guy. But Dusty didn't let, and he, he didn't need to let us use his car. That's his prerogative. So I said, well, will you just drive us over there? Nope, don't feel like it. His prerogative again. So we go out walking, me and these two other guys. And these guys at this time were all, we're gangsters, man. We listen to Cypress Hill. The dudes you were walking with? Mm-hmm. Okay. We're gangsters, man. Cypress Hill, House of Pain. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So we go down. We start walking. And I'm like, hey, guys, let's walk this way around the main street. Right. Like, you nah, we're going yeah. to walk down the alley. It's right. closer. Right. I'm like, no, nah, guys, I really think we should walk the other way. Let's just walk the other way. Now nah, we're going to walk down the alley. So we start walking down the alley. As soon as we get in the alley, we pass a group of guys, about eight guys. And so we keep walking. We didn't, we're talking to each other a little bit. And then someone says, hey. And they, and they ask us to identify ourselves. I was like, guys, we just got to turn around and say hello. They said, who are you? Yeah, basically. And then um, those guys kept walking, heads down, that whole They were like, posture. what stress? Yes. And I'm like, guys, we got to turn around and just say something to these guys. And that was the second time I said something, because this is all about my whole philosophy. Why didn't you just turn around? So I turned around. Yeah. And these guys, and I said something, and these guys still came, ran, ran up on us anyway. Yeah. And there was like eight of them. Now, these kids were, had guns on us, but they were like nine, and they, and they were shaking, and they were scared. Oh, nine. they were like nine years old. Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay. And they had two guns and the sideways crap and all this stuff. Yeah. And they're holding the guns. And I'm like, hey, man, you guys got to calm down. You're going to accidentally shoot us. You can have my wallet. Like, there's no problem. You can have my money. I'm not going to whatever. And I'm just giving them the whole, like, seriously, please calm down and don't accidentally shoot me. Even to the extent where I asked them, hey, you mind if I just have my wallet back? You got the money out, right? Can I just have my wallet back so I don't have to get another license and all that stuff? And they gave me my wallet back. So, and they kept saying, oh, because one guy runs off and just starts running. Uh, and it's like, well... One of your boys or one of their... Them? One of our boys. Okay. And it's like, well... One of the, the guys who was so tough. Yeah, right? he's so tough. It's always that way, that the tough guys dip. Yeah. But, you know, running isn't necessarily make you less tough. No, no. I mean, you know, I mean... So, he got away. But he, called, he goes and gets the cops, actually. Eventually, the cops come back to the place. 
and these Covington cops put us in the back of the car so we can't open the door. They drive us around like, are them the boys that pulled the guns on? Like, roll the window down. Oh, God. Five feet away. Are them the boys that pulled those guns on you? Now let us know because we'll, we'll pick, like, pick them up and what? You're going to sit them next to us right. in the freaking cop car? Like, <laughs> right, right. And so obviously on I had your lap, to say. On your nine-year-old boys on your lap. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that that whole situation went down. And it changed my whole theory. Did you, did you come up on, on, did you find the kids? I was not identifying anyone yeah. under those contexts. And right. I couldn't believe the cop did that. I thought it was absolutely. Did you drive past the kids? Absolutely. And they were you, everywhere. And you said no. You yeah. saw the kids everywhere. Like they were, they'd spread out to four different corners or whatever. Yeah. So the cop drives past all of them. Yeah. And they're all looking at us like, yeah, you're going to identify us? And I'm like, they got $8. I don't even care. Right. That's the whole thing about all this stuff. If I'm ever carrying around a thousand dollars, maybe I'll care. Right. But I've got four dollars in my pocket. Right. You're gonna mug me. Right. What for? What? What am I gonna do other than let you have the money? Right. Nothing matters that much. Like take it. You probably need it. But you said it just changed your outlook. Because number one, if you're a dude and you're with me, and it's a normal circumstance, you are on your own. <laughs> if you're a girl and you're with me. I might be incorporating you into my safety escape strategy if you listen to what I tell you to do right. on the first time. Get down. Yes. Like, if I say whatever and you're like, uh, no, then it's like, okay, you have now been eliminated <laughs> right. from my safety right. program. Because I'm very vigilant. And I think that people, like, a lot of people get more scared being that vigilant. You're vigilant like what? You, you you make split decisions and you and you and you'll go for it. Even just noticing stuff. Like yeah. I'll notice somebody's walking down the street or that last time we got with the dog? Well, that or, time or was or crazy. The time but it, the time yeah. with decide was those guys were down there and they looked like bushes, but the bushes were smoking, like there's smoke coming off the bushes. And so I'm trying to keep my voice because again, that's another thing, the outcast thing. This is so far to go to get to where I'm going. My dad's parents looked white to me, and I always thought of us on that side as being all colors. Uh -huh. My mom's parents, to me, looked black, and everybody was that general browner-than-me color. In your mom's side? Yes. Yeah. And so they, my dad's family was African-American Appalachian, so they had the wrecking y'alls and wash and all that kind of stuff. My mom's side was southern black, so they still had the same... Vocabulary, different accent. Uh -huh. So even talking to the side, I realized I was talking in my dealing with white people voice to Josiah. At oh oh oh, I see, I see. As we walked out of the comic, which because we're walking around North Side, I mean, you're you know, had we walked out onto Main Street downtown, I might have had a little more bass in my voice. I might have been. So you'll change. You'll change your the way absolutely, you talk, and depending on the situation, I believe the they would call that we selling out. That. We all, I think we all do that naturally. I find it to be very helpful. Yeah. I mean, depending who I talk to, it changes a bit. I mean, if it's too extreme, then it's forced. But if it's subtle. But if it's too extreme. It's the key and peel. <laughs> I did see that. I did see that. They are hilarious. They're going to be that the was, new but, but So you go, you walk out of the comment. And I see the guy. So I don't want to change my, because that's the other thing. Now, I'm already in this talking to him in my it's not even the white so, We should go. We should walk down further. We were talking about something really stupid, like we should go to the Bahamas, and we, it was something really stupid, like right. something totally hoity-toity and imaginary and whatever. And so I see those guys, and I tap to side, try not to break my cadence, 
and just indicate that I see these guys. And I, in my head, decides secret agent skills were good enough where he was like, I see what's happening. I see what you're talking about. So then I tap him and gesture across the street. Like, Did you know what he was talking about? I saw him. Joe point, I mean, Joe saw him first, but as soon as I saw him, right away. That's how we should cross. Just cross. We'll just cross. So tap them. We start to cross. And then they get up. But they get up too fast. So I start screaming. You know, they're rolling on us, dude. Whatever I'm They're rolling yelling. on us. That's what you said. They're rolling on us, man. they roll. And then I'm I running to Josiah's car. Now, Josiah, <laughs> bless his heart. Has a 1947 89. Geo Metro <laughs> Honda, 89 Honda, 89 with the Honda. club, with the club on the steering wheel, because it's the most stolen car in the history. It got of, stolen before. Yeah, I do I, remember that car got stolen. I remember it got stolen before. I don't want to try to hate on you for having a club on this car, except for then you got in the car and you couldn't get the club off, and I'm standing on the other side, and that was that whole thing where I was like, he's a dude. And he's the dude that put the club on his car. <laughs> right. So I'm out of here. I was in drill school. I could run. We had run eight miles like that week. Okay. So I'm yelling. My voice is good and strong. I'm running uphill, up that back hill. I'm running fast. I mean, I'm, I've am i only run 20 yards. This hill yards. that they live on, you think? Da- yeah, down behind uh, the Comet. Like, oh, I'm running back up the hill, oh, oh, back oh, oh, up oh. to the Comet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm running fast, and I'm yelling, and I'm screaming. And all the kids up there thought I was... Larking on them, right. and they're like laughing, like, "Oh, look at this guy!" He's like, "I'm like, nah, dude, they rolling on us, they rolling on us down here." The bartender, the curly-haired big bartender, uh-huh, immediately yeah, yeah. understands what's happening. Right, grabs a baseball bat, comes running out. Right, by this time, Josiah is doing like some kind of hook slide, and he's backing down the alley trying to find me. <laughs> I, I thought I didn't know you went up to the comet. Oh yeah, I thought to myself when that started happening, I was like. I can run all the way to District 5. I can run all the way to the police station. Those guys are not going to be able to catch me. Right. (laughs) So as long as I get around the corner, they're not going to be able to hit me with a bullet because I don't believe people can actually aim either. Not while they're running, probably. Not a kid like that. But you never know. I mean, you get lucky. I mean, you never know. People get hit off ricochets, you know. Ricochets. But it's better to think that they're not going to hit you. So then it doesn't interfere with your escape plan. Right, right. But anyway, they what ended up happening, they scattered once you well, got up there? Well, what, what happened was, what they what they had wanted was we were going to keep walking, and they were going <coughs> to come up behind us. This is yes. not my theory. Luckily, I was parked about two cars down the street. So when we crossed over and got in my car, they were a little thrown off because they had to move quick. We, we didn't keep going like they thought we were going right. to do. So they came on, they started moving on us quick. And I got in my car quick enough, locked the door, um, and Joel started running. And they just got confused. That's not true. <laughs> I was. Well, you said they're rolling on us. Yeah. On no, the no, door. you stood your ground. You stood by the door. Yes. And you were yelling at You were yelling. Stood your ground. That's an interesting thing. Yeah, you were yelling. I'm sorry. I'm no, just, you're, so you're right by the car door, and he couldn't get the thing open fast enough. And I don't, bl- I don't blame him. You should have gotten the club first. Yeah. And then started the car. And then unlock the door. I agree with the. I mean, the, it, it, it was comical. I mean, yeah. Basically, I got in, locked the door. The kid who came up to the car, basically, was trying to. He was right there as soon as I, I locked the door. He was right there. He had right a, on the door. He had a gun in his hand. Yeah. Joel's yelling. Joel's trying to hit the window with the gun or anything. No, like that. he was confused because his friends. It was confusion. Right. Like Joel right. threw threw them all into confusion. The fact that we ran there, 
His friends ran a di- his friends dip as soon as Joel started yelling around the hill. His friends ran down the hill. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at Joel running. He's he's yelling at his friends like, "What are, you know? What are we doing?" And right, he looked right. at me. He didn't even point the gun at me. He just looked at me. Looked at Joel. Looked at his friends and just dipped. He, was he like, dipped. I see. He's like, "This is not happening." You know? I see. Basically, yeah. we got lucky. Abort, I mean, abort mission. Luckily, the car was parked there. If we were parked further down the hill, they would have got us. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And this is Northside. I mean, it's not like. Supposed to be happening, right? And that shit happens sometimes, every once in a while. Right, it's happened a lot late, lately. Not right here, but other parts. Because there was another time that guy ran up on me just recently, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. What you were walking your dog? I was walking my dog, and that's the other thing. Again, outcast. Like I have those. That's the other thing. This right leaning theory supports guns, and this. Musical left-leaning theory supports... When you say theories, you mean parts of yourself. No, I mean society. Oh, society. Okay. okay. But then those are parts of myself, I guess. But because because then, you know, like, I don't believe the avid collector of guns is a normal person. The person that collects guns is kind of crazy. But the person that collects cats is also you crazy. You got guns. I mean, I don't know if we're, you know... But collects. Like, let's talk okay. about collects. You just have a couple. If you have two cats... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you might be crazy. But if you have 14 cats, you are certainly crazy. Right, right. If you have 14 guns, you're certainly crazy. Right. And, you know, crazy, you might still be a good person. a cat person. Not necessarily. <laughs> a lot of guys that have 14 guns are going to be very meticulous. They're going to be well-kept. They're going to be locked up. They're going to be whatever. But they're still crazy. Right. I think that the whole thing is, is that I have that middle ground from... My dad being a cop and always carrying a gun, that it makes sense to me. Having gotten jumped so many times, I wasn't exactly the smallest dude for a long time. I mean, I was a fairly normal-sized dude for most of my life and still getting jumped because I had the wrong look about me or whatever. And um, Why do you think that is? Because I was exactly what... I was the mark that they thought I was <laughs> because I wasn't exactly... You I mean, be. I moved out of the hood when I was seven so it wasn't like I was hood tough like that but you still had to walk through the hood to get to wherever you were going and um and I think that that's what ended up happening was I got jumped a lot of times like that when I was younger cause they could sense you were from not the hood mm-hmm. yeah and just passing through and I didn't want to tell my parents I was getting jumped or anything like that cause then they weren't gonna let me go anywhere I was too young to drive I was younger than everybody else anyway so I depended on walking places to get to the the things and that's not even the point of the story the point of the story has to do with the comfortability with carrying a weapon. And before guns, I actually used to carry uh, some form of a knife at most of the time. Some form of a knife. Which I knew was also illegal. Which, you know, I think that's a stupid rule. But yeah, you can't carry a knife. I would still do it. Just for the protection afford it. Long story short, since I've been carrying concealed, I've had many occasions that I've been tried you don't um, think that for s- somehow it's drawn to the fact that you are carrying a weapon or some shit I don't think so I think that that is what people want to believe about the gun people because people always divide and it's always a di- us against them and I feel like I fall so far on the liberal agenda as far as women get their re- reproductive rights it has nothing to do with men we can't put our laws on their body all this kind of stuff <clears throat> The right people would say, well, you're 
pro-abortion. It's like, well, no, of course I'm not pro-abortion. Who is? And then a lot of people say, well, you're just a gun crazy whatever. No, I'm not crazy about guns. I don't like guns. I don't like carrying a gun. I like not getting jumped and beat. Right. So have you have you had to pull, pull a gun on people? Lots of different situations. One situation just happened. I was in a car with my wife. She is pregnant. We're going down. It's snow everywhere. There's cars parked on along both sides of the road. I see the guy coming at me, and it's really just one lane in the middle, just slightly He's longer. He's in a car? Mm-hmm. And I'm going in the car, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to slow down so that the only break in the cars was on his side, closer to me. So I slow way down so that he can shimmy over, over into that spot, yeah. and then we can pass each other with no problem. I mean, I slowed down to a crawl. Like It's very obvious that I'm trying to make the best of the situation. I'm down the street a little bit. This guy pulls up right in front of me and just stops. Doesn't pull over to the side or anything. So I'm looking back like, is somebody about to pull in behind me? So my first reflex is I grab my stuff and I pull it out, but try to not move my shoulder when I do it so that I'm not telling that I have a weapon. Right. Because I don't want to use a weapon. And I know that for a fact. So, um, so this guy sits there, and then he lights something in his car. So he's smoking a cigarette, let's say. And he's smoking, smoking, smoking. We sit there for two minutes in this standoff, just sitting there. Now, I'm looking behind me with one eye. I'm not understanding what he's doing, and I'm aghast. But also, I didn't want to back out because I had to back out all the way into There was no more breaks. I had to back out all the way into the street, the busier street, if I was going to back out. So I would have just backed out if there was another equally unbusy street. But that would, did not seem like an option at the time. That may be where you call my gun craziness coming in, because that certainly could have been an option to a certain degree, I guess. Um, but not feeling that was an option, I just wait. Don't do anything. Guy finally backs up and pulls over after like three or four minutes. And so I just, you know, I'm looking at him, but I'm trying not to show him looking at him. As you're driving by. I just drive by, because I'm trying to make it like, okay, I'm cool. I don't know what you're doing. Why? It hasn't made me upset. Keep well, cool. What's Shelly saying at this time? Shelly is losing it over. She's talking about like, this why would somebody right. do this? Right. Why would they even do this? Right. Like, what does this prove? I'm like, babe, just relax. We'll get through it. Because that's the thing I learned from my dad was that no matter what, nothing is going to blow your cool. Uh-huh. The coolest thing is to stay cool right. no matter what happens. And all my dad's family was like that. It was like, Cowboys and right, you know, fur coats and all kinds of stuff. These guys were just cool, and they stayed cool under those situations. So I try to stay cool. I try to be vigilant so I know what my exit. Like even here, like right now, I know there's only one exit to this room. And yeah, if you guys were to come, and, yeah, if you guys were to get me, I mean, there's little I could do. I mean, I got pretty easily go through both of us. Jump through yeah. this way, you know. You know, I already map my exits or whatever. But just go on. So, so you drive by this guy. What else happened? You nothing, just, nothing else happened. happened. Okay, you were just prepared. You were so, prepared for so I was prepared, and that's me. Nothing happened. So, was I being? Was I creating a situation because I happened to be armed? I mean, yeah. In my yeah, in my mind, yeah. I mean, I don't think that that was going to escalate. In my mind, the guy was probably like, "Fuck this guy. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here and be an asshole and show him that like, fuck you. Why should I get over?" Fair enough. That's but my guess. My theory in that situation is that okay, this guy's doing this. It's not a big you. whatever. I think that somebody's going to come from the other side and there's going to be 
like this was a planned whatever. And that's paranoia, sure. That's paranoia. But it's say. vigilance because it doesn't really bother me. Like that's the whole thing about delusion. My delusion is rampant. But I don't believe my own crap, so right. I'm just prepared for You're my own always crap prepared because it helps me stay prepared. But there's right. been a real thing like th- this one seems like. Now, what about the guy run- when you were walking around me? I don't even want to tell you that one. I want to tell you this other one, okay? Because it happened right up the street from here, where I was turning on the ash tree, and these guys, there was a, they had the light. The light was red. They had the walk light, and they're standing there talking. They're not crossing the street. They're just standing there talking. So. Wait, I pull you're on up, foot? You know, you're driving. Driving. Okay. I pull up. I was in the passenger seat, and um, Shelly's driving, and I pull up, and these guys have, like, they, they can they can walk across the street, but they're not going. Uh-huh. There's a U-Haul truck in front of me, and these guys start walking towards my car. Like, instead of walking across the street, they start walking towards the car. So, same thing. I tried to get into my stuff, grab my stuff, and pull it out. But it, I couldn't do it from the passenger seat in my slouch, so it was very obvious that I looked at them and pulled my stuff and just sat it down. I didn't hold it up, branch it, or whatever. And the guys looked at me, turned around, and walked back over to the side of the street. Because they saw that you pulled your shit out. I don't know. Maybe again, that's just paranoia again. Yeah. That could just be paranoia. Or... They did see something like what I was doing and thought, why is this dude... I'm just trying to cross the street. Well, they right? saw that you're a big dude. I don't think that had to do with the big dudeness. I think these two dudes were... I think those two dudes had an intent to harm because they knew I couldn't turn with that U-Haul truck in front and that she wasn't going to be able to respond and like throw it in the reverse and then right. hook slide and head back down the street. I think they were trying some, some crap. But the one you're talking about, walking the dog, this guy's running down the street. This is like four in the morning, right? It was two in the morning. We had just all left Comet, and I hadn't had anything because I was uh, carrying, and I didn't want to drink and have that going on. And so, uh, so we, I go home, and then realize I got to walk the dog, and I walk the dog. This guy's coming down the street in this crazy way. He's coming down, walking agitatedly, and I see it all the time in the job. I don't know how to explain it better than that, but he was walking agitatedly, and he ends up. He makes a left turn, but he's been walking down the street on the wrong side of the street to make the turn that he made. And he's looking at me, and the dog is on a 50-foot lead, so he doesn't even see the dog. I think. And he's... That's a big-ass dog, we should say. Huge. Great thing. 120 pounds. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I keep an eye on him, but I'm not worried about him. So I'm not even giving him the, you know I'm looking at you look. I'm just, I look glance, you know. Just, I'm not even concerned about you. You're too far outside of the circle of my area of protection. So he goes off and goes the opposite way down the street. And all of a sudden, I hear the cops say, don't run or I'm going to tase you. Well, wait, cop, what cop? You- a cop just shows up. Okay. And says, and it, it's so loud at night like that, I'm thinking, is there somebody talking to me? Right. I'm not running. I'm not going to run anywhere. <laughs> I'm not going to run if you pay me. <laughs> um, and then so I look back, and the cop is talking to this guy, apparently. Guy starts running. Cop says, hey, stop running or I'm going to tase you. The guy does not stop running. So, And he's running towards you? Now he's running back towards me. Well, back in the direction that I was. Uh-huh. He's not running towards me. He's across the street and he's running. looks like he's running down the sidewalk. The cop dropped something. I don't know what it was. I thought it sounded like he shot the taser and missed or the guy shrugged it off or something. 
That's not apparently what happened. But I don't know what happened. Um, the guy's still running. The cop stops because whatever he dropped, he's picking up. Well, the guy all of a sudden then doesn't even know the cop stopped, to my knowledge. Starts heading towards me. Starts angling towards me. He's far away. I think, okay, I'm going to move out of the way. So I back up and try to get out of his angle of incidence. And uh, he recorrects. Do you, have your, do you have your hand on your shit at all? Not at all. Not at all. I'm standing there with the dog thinking there's no need to even go to that route. Right. I've got a 120-pound dog. And, you, and he didn't have nothing in his hands. I, he, I, I did not think that he had anything in his hands as he was running. He had a very big jacket. But he wasn't even covering, like usually guys that are carrying and they start running will start covering that portion of their body that they're carrying their weapon in because they think it's going to fall out or right. something like that. He wasn't even doing any of that. I did not think he was necessarily about to brandish a weapon necessarily. Right. Um, but he kept angling towards me. I kept moving and he kept re-heading towards me. That's when I got into... The situation realizing this guy is crazy. He doesn't even care about the dog. I think he shrugged off a taser <laughs> shot. Right, he's a zombie. It seemed like he was on drugs already. Yeah, he's obviously agitated. I don't know why he's running at me. So it all happened real fast. I moved my shirt out of the way, grabbed my piece, pulled it, and yelled, "I've got a gun! Back up off me!" Right. <laughs> and he's still running at me. And so, you know, when I pull my weapon, or when I have my weapon, my finger's never on the trigger. Right. It's on the memory guard above it. So he keeps running, and I say again, I've got a gun. Back up off me. And he's still running at me. So I actually slid my finger onto the trigger, which was... Did you have to pull a safety off or anything like that? Yeah. When I pulled it out of my pants... I automatic. I think. I guess. I just trained. You automatically knocked the safety. Off. Yeah, knocked the safety, and um, yeah, knocked the safety. But you actually had your finger on the trigger. The second time I yelled, I had a finger on the trigger. The guy keeps running, and I seriously sat there and had that time stretch out moment where it's like, this guy is really going to keep running at me with the dog. That's already blowing my mind. And now I've got a gun. I'm standing under the light. Like, you can clearly see me. You can clearly see my gun. Like, you're really going to keep running at me. Like, this guy is on drugs. I don't want to shoot him. He's drug-addled. He's not. Like, he might be. But now I've already pulled a pistol. And what are you going to do here? committed to something or other, haven't you? So I kind of stepped to the side, and he kind of just. Breezed past? Yeah, he kind of just adjusted his thing and moved off. And he kept running, but he kind of turned away from me at the last moment. Turns out later that he had done something crazy, like stabbed his girlfriend or whatever, and that he was trying to find somebody's phone so that he could call somebody to come pick him up so he could leave the scene. And he kept, and he was thinking when he walked down the street, probably... He was going to jack your phone. Probably. And that's just, that, that last part is, I do not know for a fact, that's my yeah. postulation. But... The rest of that whole scenario for me is such an interesting scenario because you don't want to pull your gun on people. I don't want to pull my gun on people. I don't want to get beat up. I don't even care to get beat. I mean, getting beat up is fine. I don't want my wife to get beat at all. I don't want there to be danger of an unborn baby in any way. Right. 
and I think that people out there are crazy or racist or whatever. All these Florida craps where these guys yeah. are shooting these kids and then bragging about it and we should shoot all the brown people and all this stuff. That's the kind of guy that scares me. Yeah. And those are the gun people that they're looping me in with. Right. That's like, the thing. Is like you're very atypical as a gun owner because you are on more on the left left wing side of things. Pretty much. Yeah. In general. That's how I feel about it. And I, I think that's the whole point about why it's such a weird again, there's always gonna be something that separates you from the um so black sheep is kind of black sheep isn't super strong. Black sheep is a good term to me because it has that whole mentality of we are all the same really. Anybody that's dividing people is trying to do it for their gain. And if you believe that crap, then you're helping the gain of somebody that's that you're now giving the power of being in a position higher than you to do that. It's really easy to throw off all these shackles of traditionalism being black, I think, because you don't feel like society was made for you. So it's easy to then recognize that in everything, in the job, in the industry, in the in everything. That there's a different dialogue that's supposed to be playing for you and what you're trying to do. So you think that mentality is is tied into race then? I think that to an extent anyway. Mentality is tied to oppression. Okay. And that I'm surprised that I mean, I, I would not be surprised that everybody feels that somebody's trying to oppress them to a certain extent. Or like the that the overall thing is if you can put somebody above you to be oppressing you, obviously that's a comfortable uncomfortable situation for everybody. But everybody's gonna face obstacles. It's just what they attribute those obstacles to. Is it the effects of somebody doing something to me? Right. Not always. Generally, my obstacles are my own ability to control what I'm doing. Right. Right. I, I feel that same. See, I have, I have, I, I tend to have an outsider mentality in some ways as well, um, and I always have, you know. But I don't. But I think in reality, it probably is my own shit. For me, I that's you know. Your own shit in the way of just like just your own uh, psychological in your whatever from from I don't I don't even know why just never feeling that integrator never feeling like I was feeling different than other people or something like that. I think that's the best thing about being a Gemini to me. Like to me, it is so easy to go. I think this, and then I don't even care that I think this. So like I'm so delusional, but it just helps me stay vigilant. I think somebody else, like my wife, for instance, does not deal well with knowing all the possibilities. She, the best way to do it is to tell her the best possibility and let her think about that and then adjust it. For me, it's better to think about all the possibilities and then kind of, you know, I'd rather go through all of them in my head. That's why my conversations don't make sense. I'm thinking of so many things oh, you, I, I, at I actually, one time. I actually find you to be very eloquent. Interesting. I think I, I think you you do make sense. You meander. You meander. go you go on tangents and stuff. But I think you know you know the the, the string. You come back. Yeah, you know the meandering the is the thing because everything to me is everything. Yeah, and we are all one in like a real sense in that. You got you got to you got to be suspicious of the guy that's trying to say what the differences are, because there's really no differences between us. Everybody wants the same thing, basically. Yeah. And everybody, in, in some way, feels like an outsider because 
everyone's stuck in themselves, you know. Yeah, maybe you're right. See, that's the other thing. In that, different ways. I mean, I, I think some people definitely subscribe to a group mentality more than the three of us, I think. Even within the groups that we're a part of, we don't 100% subscribe. And there are people that I think really do, and more so. But even those people have their outsider feelings, I'm sure. But, yeah, I mean, even during this whole conversation... Like you're saying, I'm having thoughts about this and that that I want to bring up. It's your interview, so I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to. Well, these are talks. I've listened yeah, yeah. to many of them. They're, they're talks, talk but them. I mean, <laughs> with three of us, you know, it, it's harder because I want to let you, you know, run and you're and you're doing it. I like what you're, you're saying. You're great. Anything else to, that you want to ask, Joel? Though, well, I've had a few thoughts along the way. Well, one thing, back to okay, so back to the firefighter thing. We're mm-hmm. talking about seniority. Okay, and how that, that's a big thing, and you feel like not only in firefighting, but in, in a lot of aspects of life, seniority is important. Mm-hmm. You know, Ann Kim, our friend, she's Korean, you know, mm-hmm. she was telling us the other day about in, in South Korea and a lot of parts of Asia, I think, the elders um, are greatly respected and. Much more so than here. Like, mm-hmm. there's different words that you say to them, even as far as hello and everything. Probably no nursing homes. I don't know. Maybe some. But, I mean, it's just, you speak to them differently. You never would say a normal hello to someone who's older. You know, you have to know what to say. And it's all very formal. And you treat them differently. And always, certain. You, if you give someone who's older than you, a lot of rules. Give them something, you have to always use both hands. Like, you can't hand them something with one hand if they're older than you. It's weird stuff. But it got me thinking about not just elders, but seniority and jobs. And I think a lot of it is people that are older um, want to maintain their power and, and dignity. And one way to do it is it's like the secret way of, not a secret, but it's passed off from generation to generation to make sure that as you get higher up and older, you don't lose your power. You actually can gain it. Because naturally, in the natural world, you lose your power. If you look at other animals, mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. they're past their prime, they get taken out. But humans have developed a way to like have this seniority thing where mm-hmm. as you get older, you know you don't talk back to your elders because they know better, even though they don't always. And there's in some ways, there's a dark side to that. Like I think it's good. It helps society, you know, in Korea. What Anne was saying, it all made sense. I was like, yeah, that's kind of smart, actually. But in another way, I think it's not good. Um, This drummer, Ari Honig, who I really love, he was doing this interview, and the guy asked him, like, well, what do you think about all these these young kids coming out of the schools? Like, it's just terrible, you know, a lot of them can't even play. And, you know, how do you feel? Like, they're trying to get your gigs and all this. And I really liked what Ari said. He was like that just sounds like an old person who lost their gig and is bitter. Like <laughs> he said, for me, like, I'll, I'll be honest, 75% of the musicians that inspire me are younger than me, not older than me. Mm-hmm. Cause the youth is what inspired me, you know? And, so that's the other side of it. Is mm-hmm. That's true. Like I'm getting older and we all are. And in a way you have to kind of look to the youth and respect it instead of like right. thinking, you know, better cause you, you're older, but both sides are there. Both things are true. Yeah, I mean, people want this automatic, like you're saying, in the 
natural selection, they're going to lose that power. People want to keep that power. And, and people want to just say that no matter what I've done, I'm still around doing it. So that, you know, and I have the same problem with religion as I do with science on this. I will debate either side of it because mm-hmm. I believe in each of them the same amount. Like to me, these scientist people talk all this crap about how dumb religious people are and how they're willing to accept all this crap as truths and with faith and all this kind of stuff, which is exactly what they do when they accept scientific pseudo-nonsense from a paid... Like, corporations are paying these scientists to do a study for a reason, so they're faking all kinds of stuff, just like I'm sure somebody faked some parts of the scripture, which is why some religions honor certain parts of it and don't honor other parts and all that kind of stuff. The problem really lies in that at a certain point, you want to believe your elders. But in a time where communication has developed to the extent that it has, you can know so much more information. In the old guild days, you couldn't learn blacksmithing and, you know... You couldn't learn everything. You had to right. kind of but break it down. you the hell out of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so you had to give that... You, you, that's the only way it could work is that if you apprentice under somebody. And so you had generation to generation. Yeah. And they did not want you changing your... Like you're saying, changing your social class anyway. They wanted you to maintain that status quo. Right. So you took over your dad or your When you say they, you mean the people in power. The people in power. Right. So all the people... Because now they're doing it with science more so than they're doing it with religion. And that's what these science people are keep missing. They're using the scientific whatever to control the political stuff because they're pretending like that's where all the power lies and that these are the conversations we're having. And they're like, oh, well, now it's about global warming and whether we can give tax credits to and carbon footprint and all this kind of stuff. It's the same garbage. It's the same whose scripture you're going to believe. If I write a scripture, you're going to believe, oh, this is the book of the other book of Joel. And this is, you know, I believe this stuff because... This guy really knows what he's talking about. Other book of so who do you believe? I mean, do you, you just you only believe what what you can personally see, or what? I walk that line both ways. I think that I have a faith that is not like my mom's, but I have a faith that's not. I don't believe in science and all this crap, like this whole Bill Nye versus Ken Ham stuff and all this crap lately. This is not even an argument this is like so they have already divided us so much that we're pretending on this stupid argument so you now now we're getting into some kind of conspiracy shit they 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 no 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 my sister is really about the conspiracy stuff she thinks I've sold out to the man and not continuing my musicianship and having a steady job and all this kind of stuff Mm. and the conspiracy Illuminati all that stuff she gets into that I don't get into that stuff because the Illuminati don't care about me they're not they're not conspiring against me. But little people that have their little bits of power are conspiring against me. Because it is actually, in that natural selection thing again, the most natural thing for someone to want to retain whatever crap they have by whatever means necessary. Especially if they think I'm going to take it. Whether it's their girl, their job, their money, their whatever. That's why it's important to control the information that you release because somebody's using that information in a way different than you want it used in a way different than you can even fathom it being used. How about me doing one of these every week and letting it all hang out? I mean, I think everything. it's dangerous. I, I listen to some of the controversial controversial Episodes, stuff. Yeah. 
And uh, heard them in there. I've done a little editing. Just posting. Just posted form. Yeah. And um, You know I edited, though. I yeah. know you edited yeah. some stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to get into the specifics of any of that other than the fact that, yeah, it's dangerous. I can see why people are going to get mad. And I can see how some people feel like they have something to lose. I have a very hard time talking about the job because it's easy to be misquoted or misunderstood or edited to make it sound like there's a different emphasis on some point. Because, again, the fire guys, I mostly respect all those guys, even all those guys that I can't stand. I respect them for being who they are. And it's hard to get that across and still speak to my similar disavowment of the science thing in its form and the disavowment of the traditional thing. It's all the same thing. Traditional religious thing. More even just more even just seniority and all that kind of stuff too. Yeah. I mean you've told me some stories on the the firefighting uh, front that are very interesting, but you know, perhaps that's not what you want to talk about. In this. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be specifics like that. It can be just as broad as people are going to talk to you and they're going to portray something, whatever it is. But they have an agenda. It doesn't matter what they're saying or how they're saying it or whatever. They have an agenda. But so do you. So we all do, right? I mean, in some way. But that's exactly what I feel like. My agenda doesn't really encompass money in the same way that other people's might or whatever like my agenda comp i mean that's the exactly the thing with our personal relationships now obviously we're doing different things we don't have the time to hang out like we did before but obviously our agendas are going to run contrary but your agenda i believe is not malevolent towards me but there are people out there with a malevolent towards me agenda because they want my job or my girl or they think I didn't deserve what I got. Right back to the uh, the perps, the the um, what you call the predators, the long predators. range game, long, guys. long range predators. I'm just bringing it back to the beginning because we we got to get out of this. That's true. The, Find the, a way out. The long range guys though are running so much stuff that any one little battle doesn't matter for the war. Um, Isn't that the smart way to do it? Or or should you just focus on one thing? I could not focus on one thing until recently. And now I find it just as easy to focus on one thing. And I mean, who knows, over time, if it gets more difficult or whatever. But my clarity and focus on one thing surprises even me at this point. I have completely changed so many factors. So many. And not... The job doesn't even have anything to do other than maintaining this future life in some kind of way. And so to me, like, it's such a beautiful thing that you got to do whatever you can keep the energy up to do. If you keep the energy up by playing the long-range game and all that kind of stuff, fine. If you're playing the short-range game, you should probably learn about the long-range game. Right. <laughs> because the long-range game is still where it's at no matter what you're doing. And that's just discipline and whatever. And that's the whole thing about Ben. You're going to learn all that stuff no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or a firefighter or whatever. You're going to learn this stuff. If I had come on the firefighting when I was 18, then I probably wouldn't have had the discipline to do the job. If someone wants to tell me about I'm not doing my job as a firefighter, they can seriously go fuck themselves because... I work harder and have probably done more runs than they have right. in the last two years than they've done in, 
you know, so, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, you know, you got to have your heart and you got to have your energy. So you got to be able to feel what you, you got to be able to feel it. So if you feel that you want to run a long range game, that's probably smarter than running a short range game. Right. Whether it's a malevolent or benevolent game. But when it comes down to it, if you want to focus on one thing, it almost decides itself. It's like you won't be able to even focus on one thing if you can't, if, if that's not going to give you the energy. You're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to be able to sustain it. I guess you know when it's time to do that. It'll just happen. Seems like that, except for I don't like that in the answer to the one other question we posed. Which was why I never got with the band in those yeah okay situations. What's the answer to that? Josiah runs a smear campaign behind your back. No, Josiah uh, does scare me with the way that he portrays. He just likes to. He just likes to downplay everything, give you worst case scenarios, so you know worst case scenario. That's not the thing that bothers okay, me. Okay, okay. He puts it like, and this is the whole thing, man. I, I just started realizing this after this summer. He puts it like. There's an aspect of my playing that is not going to fit with the project. He's not saying that. This is all my delusion. Because I understand. You're saying because I, <coughs> I know. I mean, I, I think I know. I mean, oh, I, 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 the, actually, you should, you should you tell me. what I said. I mean, there's this an would aspect have been a little while ago at this point of my playing that would not fit. That he imagines would not fit into the scenario. Well, and it's hard to explain, but it has something to do with. I mean, it's, it's hard to explain because I don't think he has a malevolent agenda towards me. So it might sound like I'm saying he does when I say he doesn't think I'm going to be able to play the right kind of lines consistently or something. He, I, I mean, this I, is, no, I never said that. I'm sure what this is is, is, is Josiah interpreting, interpreting my tastes in regards to what I like for arrangements and players. I'm sure that's what it is. But it's his own taste. Too. It's his own aesthetic, too, clearly. In not some ways, but more youngs, maybe. But maybe I share some of it. But I will say that I believe what I said, and I don't know exactly, was not that you can't do play like that or you couldn't learn to play like that. I asked you, are you willing to just play the part and not really improvise much? It was more of a question. Like, I, of course you can do it. And this can, is, we're going back to 2002 yeah. now? Well, no, no, th- this would be... 2008 or 9 okay. whatever 2008 probably before Austin that's the last time right. we really talked about this. alopecia tours but you know it was more Which like we made a sh- lot of money <laughs> <laughs> just saying I'm just it saying it was more a question to you I, of course you could learn the parts I never questioned whether you could it was more whether you wanted to that's that's more was my position I wanted to make sure before you got involved because I didn't want it to come between our friendship where know? did the money come from for you guys when we went out west where did the money come from when we were in high school, or when we went out west, we, for, I'm sorry, I was how, much, how much money did we need? Like when I remember, like we were all in the same minivan. That was cheap. That was a cheap. We all paid for gas. Yeah. And we all paid for whatever we actually stayed at a hotel or whatever. Yeah, which was like twice, man, like forty dollars. I, I remember sitting I in the parking lot, pharmacy cooking on time. a cook stove while you guys were in the restaurant eating dinner and all that kind of stuff like that. Now, I'm not trying to put a dichotomy in here and like this. I just think that again. It's not really about the money. I think I make a, I make a way. I make a way. The thing that Josiah's, and it's been the thing the whole time, I did not treat Josiah fairly from the very beginning. He, became, he took a situation. It wasn't even about drums, really, at the beginning. It was about the social strata. And he was a little adorable guy. I mean, 
and nice. I mean, you, he, I'm, not, he, I'm not taking anything away from what he had. And I tried to, you know, take some of it, like take the essence of it in the same way that like even really like if I think of heroes, like heroes, other than like family members, like my brother for actually graduating college or my dad and my, you know, like Bootsy, Hendrix, and Josiah. I mean, that would be the band <laughs> yes. I want to play in. <laughs> yes. That would be, you know what I mean? That's the That's whole right. thing. But then I started trying to steal his essence and do all this stuff. I set up a <laughs> weird situation. Essence. Yeah, because then I tried to be the drum guy. And then we got back together and you were already so much better. I was like, well, I know what to do. I'll play guitar and whatever. And then that's the other thing. You guys weren't asking me to play guitar. We are asking you to play bass. Everybody is always we asking me guitar. to play. Everybody is always asking me to play bass. You're a good bass player, man. Uh, that's the thing. That's the thing. I think you are. <laughs> I want to do a little playing tonight if you're down for that. I'd love to play. But, but, but you wouldn't be... And this is a very... This is very wrong of me to say, and I know how wrong it is. Remember, I'm delusional, and I know. But if I told you, hey, dude, I want you to be in my band playing bongos. And I would do it. You would not do it. (laughs) I'm not trying to diss you guys again. But but how many shows of yours do you think I've been to? No, no, if if there was money, if there was money, if there was good money, I would do it. How many shows of yours have... You've been to a lot of our shows. How many shows of mine have you been to? I've been to a decent amount. I mean, not I not like two. as many. Like two in the last ten years. You're maybe. offended. You're offended. Not offended. Not offended. I started to believe him instead of trying to, whatever, because we're really battling for him. Isn't that the whole thing? Like there was a battle. Like in the old days, it was me and him, even in the one room, and then you and Jamie or whatever in the other room. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, That's true. And we'd be playing at the same time, too, sometimes. That's and it was true. like we... And then all of a sudden, like, thing, all these things happened, and I didn't even go to CCM, but I played with stuff largely because these guys had me in that mix or whatever. And I was always, you know, trying to be in the bands, which is... I, I mean, that's really what it came down to. So the question was Why more... Why didn't you go to CCM? Out of curiosity. You weren't a jazz guy. I did guy. not you like school. You weren't a jazz guy. It, it's not even about... Uh, yeah, it's not even about jazz. I don't like school. I did not do well in school. I'm not even playing any games about whether I would do well in school. I do not yeah. do well. But you went to school. For a while. For a but while. Not for a long while. Yeah. And it seemed to me, and I hate to say this to these guys still, but those degrees did nothing. Yeah. Except for introduce them to a network of people. Yeah, that's something, though. Which is something that I yeah. still got from not going. Yeah, yeah, I'm not... Look, but I, I want to get back to this because I, I want to know about because you were getting to somewhere. Yeah, because the whole point was that there was a battle for Josiahness in a way, and it's because Hendrix was already dead. I didn't meet Bootsy until I was probably about twenty or something like that, and Bootsy was always real nice and whatever, but he didn't really ask me to play with him or anything like that. He just was supportive in general. Like a benevolent, like he should be. Like, you know, he doesn't have to know me or whatever. He just says some nice things. Josiah was actually attainable and still had this, I mean, again, his drumming is so far beyond what mine is at any point that it's the same kind of thing as feeling like Bootsy's bass playing has been beyond mine, Jimmy's guitar playing. Okay, okay, but what, 
So, so, so the thing I realized was that I liked playing with him, and he was trying to say, "I'm we're not doing that. We cannot do that thing that we do in this context." Right. So, do you understand that? Right, because it was my project, and what—that's why. That's and why. that's fair enough. And ultimately, and I, I love your playing, but but ultimately, my project is about arrangements. That's what he was trying to say. But I'm sure I said that. I'm sure. But and I don't think I said we couldn't do it. The thing that we do, I was just making sure you were down to just play the parts, which I think is a monkish pursuit that I would think would be well within my abilities and desires in most cases. It was the hesitation. It was the having to go through it on that part and all that kind of stuff. So you're saying this, it was never about the in, the insecurity of possibly making no money. No, that was a part of it, too. I it's got to be part that of that. a big part of it. Because I had already bought too. a house. By the time I went to Japan in 01, and I quit my real job at the car dealership or whatever to go to Japan. That was the same time you guys were going... That's the first that was when we were going to Reaching Quiet Tour. Yeah, 2002. Yeah. So, like, when I came back from Japan, like, while we were in Japan, we were talking the first times about going. Yeah. Because I remember, it was like, I remember saying to somebody, oh, just Japan thing, but then it might morph into this other thing. Because people kept asking, are you going to quit your job to go play music? I'm like, heck, yes, I am. And they're like, well, after this amount of time, it's over. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care. I mean, because there's another thing that might happen. Right. You always parlay something into something else. I mean, that's life. So the money, the things, all that mattered. And there was some kind of, there was some kind of something, some kind of division that happened. But you got to understand, like, we were we were dead serious. And we, 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 we wanted you to come on that tour. Like, I believe we, you. We hired Jordan. We didn't really know, like, Jordan was great, ended up being great. But we didn't really know him that well at the time. You know what I mean? Like... That was, yeah. But even, again, let's go back to your mom. Even the different dialogue seems like that my best blessing in that situation was to not include my inner dialogue into the situation. That's what it seemed like. That's not like, that That leaves it at that you guys were definitely extending me a gracious offer that was a, uh, flat, flattering, that doesn't sound like the right word, was an honest boon to me. Like, I felt good about being able to consider that without much attached to it as negative. Sounds like I'm saying negative something about the way that I understood relationships and the way that grew in all those points. And I think that it's the right thing, obviously. I had gotten to a point because of relationships in high school where I started letting things go slowly over a period of time, and school did that more for me. And then I think that that became part of that. Like, it wasn't really about you, Yoni, and your whole thing. It was really more about Josiah and our relationship. And I still think, obviously, it was the right decision. Obviously. That you made the right decision? That we all got the best possible outcome. Because we all made the right decision. I I don't know what that... that, I don't feel like I'm in the best place in life. I mean, you you never know what what happens from what else. You know what I'm saying? Like, or what, what... train of events would have occurred who knows yeah but you can't you can't say it was wrong or we exactly can't we can't say either but yeah, it, it happened as it happened at least we're, we're still friends we are it could have been worse it could have gone down all wrong but it also maybe we'd be super famous and rich right now too but That's you guys are super famous and 
Man, I'm broke. Super famous. <laughs> but the a super little famous bit, part a little bit is famous good. and kind of broke. And that's the thing I mean. It's like, you know, I could, the, the non-interview part wants me to go down this whole thing about how Josiah's, because it was my fault. I made a situation that was unreasonable. What was your fault? Putting you in the position, holding you in the regard that I did was an unreasonable situation. And I knew that at some point, but was still kind of doing it. And that seemed to me to be a continuation of that, to go along that route. It, it, so you're saying it was upsetting for Josiah to go off and do all this other shit with me? and Not upsetting in that sense, but like, you know, like, black sheep, abandonment issues, all these kind of things. I remember when I moved to New York, you weren't, you didn't love that, that I was leaving. I mean, even though that was before I was working with Yoni, just to go there and try to pursue jazz career or whatever. You know, that was tough. I mean, we were, we were close, you know. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's the whole thing. You got to let, that's the whole thing. Pigeonholing people. If you, if I think something of you, whatever it is, it could be good. I think it of you, all of a sudden I am restricting your growth because I am projecting onto you this shell casing that you already aren't anymore as soon as I had the thought. I mean, you have to, you have mm-hmm. to be malleable with, the, with your, with what you project on people. I think it's fine to, to, I mean, you have to make judgments on who someone is in it, you know, but you have to be open to changing that every day. But if you go down this road where the traditionalism of race and all these things come back in, not as in throwing the race card thing, but if you go to this different dialogue, you'd start thinking honestly and over a schism, like, well, his reality means that he can go do this thing. My reality means that. But why? why I can it? believe that he can, but I can't do that thing. But like why? That. But why? Like, I see. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't see that. Like, it's I, weird. It's I went just, to Japan just, with an all-black band. So it, it, is it? That's weird, isn't it? I mean, isn't felt, it just weird? You, but did you feel that you? It would be weird to go out with all white people. No, mm, I did have a little tiny thing about that. It might make your guys's. If I'm unlucky in the fact that I attract trouble, it might make. Passing through situations, we, I remember we slightly I remember more we're talking about that. We're not going to the south or this kind of thing. I was talking about that, but that was like a, a minor I mean, thing. Come on, that's not like I'm telling you. It's this overall. It's like you, it's because it's because it's. I'm not blaming you guys for anything. This this systematic thing that happens where it made sense to, for me to go. I mean, these guys I play with in Japan were incredible musicians by all means. You know, you know, I don't want to say CCM quality in that sense of. But I mean, these guys were, they were great music theory, technique, in chop, great players, and all that kind of stuff. And it just seemed like it made more sense to latch onto that. I, I don't, I don't, and I but think you, it's weird. I don't understand it. But you had been done. You were done with that, right? <clears throat> at the time, we. I feel like we talked about that stuff at a similar time. That you were doing that. And they were even talking about doing something else later. I see, I see. And that's when it Might came up. Some, some overlap, maybe. So anyway, so you you were, you were kind of were thinking more in that direction, and that was the thing. I mean, there was no guarantee with us. Like I said, it was like I, I had made some weird records that you were privy to, and, and it wasn't like stuff that, that a lot of people were digging. And we just happened to do well over the years. Not that we did well, well, but we, you know, we kept, we kept hacking it out and did better and better, and... Uh, you know, but it was way before that too. Apogee, you guys talked about it really weird. Like everybody talked about it really weird about rehearsals being so good or whatever. Didn't I only play like one Apogee show? Like I went to every rehearsal, but Josh played one of those shows. 
You played. Chris more. played bass on one of those shows. You played. You played most of them. I don't you're, know. you're absent for a couple. Most of them. How many were there? Four. We didn't play that many shows, but the, I played like uh, half of them. Bottom, the bottom line is that yeah, the shows were like not necessarily as good as the band. I mean, that was that band was all about just that. To me, it was about. But that the dichotomy jam. already started existing because you had already gone through, uh, the cover band side of those guys, and then I missed some of those gigs because of having other gigs or whatever. I see. And that was that where that already started, and then, and even Dose like. But to me, all that stuff was always economic in my mind. I don't know if that's true or not. Like that, you would always choose the thing that was guaranteed money. And everything I did was always a gamble. I think that's a fair way to say that it was. But but it's not economic. It is economic in the sense that is it's not about that one show. It's economic in the sense that it's about you guys were. Always talking in Apogee about not doing it, about not quitting Apogee. Yes, and and I mean that Brad, was Brad mostly, mostly Brad. Brad was the one Brad that did quit, and then he, he didn't. Yeah, yeah, that was the craziest part. He, to he, me. he yeah, he, Dibs quit, and then he joined it again later. I feel like he quit a few times. Last yeah, like he quit, quit when we like had a rehearsal and, and leave. And then Adam Blay didn't quit. That was the funniest thing. <laughs> He's messing with us. I went to Japan, <laughs> and I was randomly in a. Bookstore and ran into, or ran, yeah, ran into uh, five Ds in Japan. Yeah, in okay. Japan, like just ra- did not know they were there. Ran into them in Japan, and then I walked into a record store that where I saw them, and there's this like huge dibs poster right when you walk in the door, and like I hadn't really understood the magnitude, I guess, at the time. I mean, I knew how good he was, and I was all about that, and I always thought that. Him and I got along super this well. This was just after Apogee. Well, and this was far after Apogee, really, okay. kind of. A couple of years. A couple yeah, of I years. mean, yeah. and it's just just blew my mind that he was, I mean, I was walking in the room, it's like dibs, and I was like, what? That's off the point. But you guys were going your own way other way. You guys were also going your own way, possibly. And it was the whole thing well, about... Me, me and Adam? You guys weren't trying to make money at all. Right. And... I bought a house in 2001. Right. That was still after all that other stuff. But I was already working towards living on my own and making that money. So, yeah, I definitely had to look at it, not for gig to gig, but maintaining the relationship with the guys that were... I mean, we started making... I mean, I'm not trying to just brag, but we were making like 300 bucks a night each, three times a week. Is in Japan? No, with... The band that I missed the Apogee show for, so I'd miss the Apogee show for free and then get paid like three hundred bucks. Right, right, which to me at that time or at this to today, heck, give me three hundred bucks today. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, I think, like I said, nothing that we ever did had guarantees, and any money that we made has been through just pure like doing whatever the fuck we wanted to do, and it's, and then eventually things working out. That's like that's a different mentality, and it and it may come from our dialogue. different upbringings. It may come yeah. from our different upbringings. Yeah. you know you. Your parents definitely, you know, were practical, like I said, and said, like, you need a guarantee, you need blah, blah, blah. And, I'm, and our parents did not guide us in any way towards anything in like that. It was it was very much about, like, you like doing this? Okay, do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I, I, I lived with my parents. Like, I was thinking about that trip. Like, I was 18. I was living with my parents the year after high school. That's how I afforded it. I had a little job and side money and did, you know, whatever. But I wasn't paying rent. 
And then, you know, I lived with Adam for a year. Then I moved back in with my parents so I could move to California mm-hmm. and save, you know, worked for a year and saved up to move to California. And then I lived in California in a tiny little, you know, you had a house here. I lived in a very, very small two-bedroom apartment with four people. And I lived in the, on one side of the living room. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. I just, my priorities were different. I didn't have those priorities of, like, I have to be legit. I was, everything was like rice and beans. You know what I mean? It was, it was very, like... My priority was always like I have to have as much time to create the music as possible. That was always my priority. Yeah, and I mean I see that too. But again, I was doing that monk thing already, and the thing that I would assume that I would have had to do to play your arrangements was still the same monk thing that I was doing to play in the cover bands, though. Right. And that's the whole point. And also, still the same way. Yeah, I had a like my mortgage. Is still less than people's rent because I'm in the same house that I was right. in for ten years or whatever, and that's still like the same things. Like we, it's really the same mission. Again, everybody's really the same. Um, the thing that I do regret is the amount of traveling. Um, that's a regret. Like you regret not traveling. Yeah, traveling more is better for anybody that can do it. You should travel and see as much as you can. That's one thing I regret and miss. Because I thought we were going to Dubai and all kinds of other stuff after the Japan thing and all that kind of thing. And, um, you know, and that would have sufficed to a certain extent. But I do think that things had to work out the way they had to work out. They they did end up working out that way. And that's, you know, a lot of it was the timing with, the, with your house. I remember having that conversation with how much you do mortgage and mm-hmm. how much you're going to make. Like, well, I can't say for sure you're going to pay that I remember right. talking about that you know if it had happened before you bought your house you probably would have done it I don't think it had as much to do with learning the bass lines no I don't think there would have been a problem there but I'm not saying you guys were saying I couldn't learn no. the bass lines I'm saying that if there is this thing that I do enjoy it is probably not the thing that I'd have to do in the band as you're saying because the thing that I enjoy is messing with Josiah professionally on stage that's all we do now when we play is we mess I mess with him but there would have been that you know what I mean like that oh, would, yeah. you would have had that feeling I'm yeah, sure to one extent or another yeah, yeah. yeah Austin loved messing with me on stage every night he would look at me with this big evil smile yeah I, I mean yeah I think he would have had a great time doing it <laughs> I think I would have had a great honestly. time yeah see, but I whatever, feel like look, I worded look, look, that wrong everything that, that happened in the past has led us to this moment and that's where we're at and, and you know we can, you know yeah I mean you're right I, I, I dig it I mean I can see it the economic thing. We'll, and, we'll hire your daughter in in twenty years to sing background vocals. Not over, man. <laughs> quit, quit your job. We're, we're take the next we're recruiting right now, man. Yeah, but you know, I think my thing is I'm more of the back behind the scenes guy. Like you guys will get me in there some back behind the scenes where yeah. nobody will even ever know. Oh, you come play on this next record. Something, yes. yes. And then no one will ever even know. And then it'll be just as lovely because. I am very proud of you guys. I mean, as far as all those guys in the group that are saying they're going to do these things, you guys have done them, and it has taken a lot of hard work. It has taken a lot of skills and maybe some other things I can't even quantize. But I always, every time you guys get ready to go on tour, I get the same feeling. In my, it's, like, it's like a heart-wrenching feeling. It's like a pride and a joy. It's also like a slight bit of like oh I want to go kind of like thing and it's like 
it's like every time. Like I always end up leaving just by some weird email message or something <laughs> crazy. Because it's that weird feeling like it's like, here, these guys are going out there and they're doing it again. Yeah. Still doing it. Because, I mean, I still make a ton of money playing gigs or whatever. But I basically have given it up for a job that I admittedly am doing for the security again. Mm-hmm. So there's something in that to me. Security's good. I don't have health insurance right now. I mean, I think taking risks, you know, I think the ceiling is higher, usually. The bigger the guarantee, the lower the ceiling. It's kind of how it works, generally. But, I don't Exactly. Know. Yeah, that makes so much sense. You know, but when you take risks, you don't always... Right. It's, you it, don't it, always win. It is what it is, exactly yeah. what it sounds like. It is exactly what it is. And, you know, we've, we've, got, we've done our different ways of doing things. And and I can't say who's ended up on top yet because we're not dead we're not yet. Done. We're still and just like you said, that's the thing. It's really the Joe Jackson thing to me. What just like Jackson you said, say? I didn't necessarily do the things to become what I thought I was probably like when those firefighters were nine. They thought they're going to be firefighters. I thought I was going to be playing guitar or right. something. I didn't necessarily do those things, but actually I thought I was going to be playing Nintendo. But you know what I mean. <laughs> By the time I was fourteen, I thought I was going to be playing guitar. I did not do those things, but I got maybe enough my foot in the door and enough experience that yes, the next generation, my next my seed may be. That's why I said iller. that. That's why I said that. It's like it is all. It does always tend to be that way. It's mm-hmm. like all right, because you because you're not going to treat her exactly how your dad treated you. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. you'll be more open to different things, and you know, and and maybe that's realistic for how your dad was raised and how you were raised, and then how you know what I'm saying like. That seems exactly the way it works. I think you guys yeah. both have it right. Interesting. Yeah, I, I I think about that. If I ever have a kid, like how where what, you know, where will they go with their with what they do? How what will, so I, what will I afford them? They will they will go and become, you know, cops and stuff. Probably so. That's the only way they can piss you back off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> all right, well let's let's close up shop, man. We, it's, this has gone long, but that's I'm fine with it. It's good. Way this, long. This has been Joel Cotton. Uh, and Josiah Wolf in Josiah's basement mm. uh, in the studio. And uh, we need a name for this studio, but uh, we'll think of that in time. We're going to sign off. Sayonara. <laughs>
sounds more like an outro. I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. <laughs> or something like that.